Hello and welcome to the TetraCast. It's our second show for hopefully a jam-packed 2021. I'm your host, Brian Vitale. Joining me today, I've got George Foster. Hey, guys. We've got Josh Torres. Salutations. And we've got James Galizio. Hey, folks. Podcast regular Adam can't make it here today. He's got real-life stuff. This doesn't count as real-life stuff. This is, <laughs> this is extracurricular stuff in our lives. It's right. It's, it's like extra credit in class. Yes. Uh, and uh, so it's been a kind of a quiet month, but I think for the first half of January, that's kind of like typical. I don't think anyone's really holding it against it that we don't have a bunch of blockbusters coming out. You know, the whole fuck you, it's January. Well, that's where we're at. So we, I, I, assume, <laughs> I assume we've all been uh, digging into our, our backlogs or maybe starting out some new resolutions. If that's the case, let us know. Uh, so I think we'll just go right into it and talk about what we've been playing to, to occupy the time as we try to get back into the swing of things. Um, I think I should let James go first because he has been starting quite the endeavor. And I don't know if he talked about it much uh, last week. I think I mentioned it, but basically, um, obviously, podcast regulars will know my deep, dark secret that uh, until I played Final Fantasy XIV, I had not played a mainline numbered Final Fantasy game. I've played Bravely Default, so I mean, I guess that kind of counts, because it has crystals, it's turn-based. I mean, it's a Final Fantasy game in all but name, pretty much. Basically, just a spinoff. But, yeah, I hadn't played any of the actual mainline titles, so... Now, when you say mainline... Does that mean you have played something like I've played the city and theatrism? Oh, okay, I was wondering like what are what are we? What he, are we he played the good from final qualification. <laughs> yeah, so I knew that I I would have to get to the series and finally play them eventually because it's like, well, I write for RPG site for God's sakes. So kind of a bit sacrilege to not play Final Fantasy. So Final Fantasy sixteen being developed by. Um, the 14 team was basically the kick in the pants I needed because obviously I'm interested in what the 14 team has to develop, but I don't want to just play 14 and 16. I kind of want to have some more of the series under my belt. So I made the decision, okay, this year I'm going to play through every numbered Final Fantasy game before 16 comes out. That was probably a horrible idea because I'm including 11 in that. I'm including 11. Are you including, but, um, um, like, After Years or 10-2 or 13-2? Or have you not decided yet? I'm going to do 10-2 and 13-2 and Lightning Returns, because those are technically mainline number games. I'm not sure if After Years is... Would you count After Years as part of that? I'd, I, yeah, I'd say so. I would, I would put it lower on the rungs than the 13-2. Um, it, it's 13 not even trilogy. that long, that's the thing. I, I, I think it's insignificant enough to, like, it, it's worth seeing... And it won't take you that long. Oh, I'll probably do it then. But yeah, so I've been playing through them. Obviously, uh, well, shout out. I did put out an article for uh, Final Fantasy 1 basically saying the hot take that I think that if we're going to play Final Fantasy 1 in the year 2021, you should play either the NES original or the PlayStation 1 version because some changes that were made to the game in later revisions, I feel like kind of dilutes what made the original so compelling even today so let me back up just a bit you're you're basically starting at one and going in order yes crazy 
All right, tell me about Final Fantasy One. As far as like, as far as like, you know, uh, like numbers go, right? The, the actual not release order because that'd mean that after years would come after or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And you can kind of get my impressions for the game just reading the article, so I don't want to talk about it too much. But it's a, it's a game, wasn't it? Final I Fantasy think One is the sort of game that I played it like I played the GBA version, which is one you would not suggest. I think it was a GBA mm-hmm. version. I played it like in a weekend when I was like 18 or 19 or something like that. Um, and I like it was like in one ear out the other. Like I don't remember anything about it, really. Yeah. So what are your yeah, takeaways think... from uh, playing the NES version? It's, um, a, it's, a, it's a weird starting point for the series. Uh, I think James yeah. really thought it's like, oh, that, that's kind of a it's kind of weird that like how how this continued to go after after this and where they went. As oh, totally. I'd say the major thing is is that the NES version is like legitimately broken. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, most of well, not most, but a, a large variety of the spells don't work. Either they don't do anything, or like some spells are supposed to like lower foes' evasion, so it's easier to hit them. It does the opposite. It makes it harder for you to hit them. Uh, Yeah, so it's like, if you are going to play the NES version, do yourself a favor, read a guide. Like, I don't know why you wouldn't do that anyways, because, well, I mean, even back in the day, people were going to be, like, reading, like, Nintendo Power Guides or whatever if they were going to go through it. So it's not that different. But, um... You don't don't have to use a guide, but at least least be in the know of, like, Mm -hmm. okay, these are are some of, like, the the bugs with the game. I mean, you can... can Do not use these spells. Yeah, you you can discover it over time. The more you use that spell, it's like, oh, there's something wrong with this. But you're gonna spend like a lot of hours figuring that out. Of like, yeah. oh, the the this this thing is like does the opposite of what I wanted to do, or this just doesn't work out. It's like it's like a second Densetsu three, or like some stats were just just didn't work. I was all. thinking yeah. the um the original Pokemon Red and Blue, where like a few a few abilities don't do anything, a few types don't make any sense, or like I forget the specifics, but there's a litany of things that are just busted in those games. Yeah. Yeah. Um, These games are too old. Mm-hmm. But yeah, um, so despite what my um, op-ed says, I will just say, if you are going to play Final Fantasy 1, I'd actually recommend the PlayStation 1 version, just because it has the spell charge system. Not sure if it actually adds in the auto-targeting after beating an enemy, because I actually think, as annoying as it is, that it makes you, it forces you to think about how you attack each turn, knowing that if you overshoot, you're going to waste damage. And I tweeted this out where, yeah, quality of life features and smoothing down like a game's rough edges are all well and good, but sometimes rough edges are part of the point. And I feel like stuff like the not auto retargeting is part of the point where it's like, oh, you can't just. You, you need to consider, okay, this enemy's almost dead, so I don't want to have all of my, like, party members attack him because that's just going to be wasting damage. It's one of those weird bad balances that like you when you say that out loud to, to someone who wants to get it, you sound like a crazy person, but I totally get you because I remember Adam and I were talking about this uh, when Nocturne got patched to get like the skill inheritance thing where you can just like manually pick out skills. And then uh, th- we, ha- we had this conversation, it's like we can't ever say this publicly, man, because we'll sound like insane people because we know it's objectively a good change but there's something about always having to randomize the skills try to get the ones that you want and try to having to make the compromise between like 
is this is this skill set good enough or do i want to back out again for another rng chance for the skills that i want because back then you had to go in and out of like the the cathedral <laughs> of church demon fusion thing to like mix up what skills you wanted and there was no manual skill selecting you just had to like roll the dice every time and then to us there's like there was like that sort of like feeling to the game that like it added a bit of like challenge to it because you were you were kind of making the conference whether what i got is good enough or am i willing to spend here uh, another hour or so hoping to get to roll the dice again it's like it's one of those weird things that we know it's better what they did now but it's still there's still something missing when you add that i do feel well, and i've mentioned this the way that times. i see it is um so the no auto retargeting kind of works in tandem with the spell charge system of final fantasy one where the whole thing with final fantasy one is resource management right. like and I really like the spell charge system. I'm glad that it's in Final Fantasy III. I'll talk about that later. Because it forces you to consider when you're going to use each spell. It's not just a simple case of, okay, how much MP do you have? It's more like, okay, you have a set amount of spell charges for different levels of spells. So when are you going to use your stronger spells? And when are you going to use your weaker ones? And I think that's really neat. And I think it's an interesting way of dealing with things. And I'm kind of sad that I... I'm pretty sure only Final Fantasy 1 and 3 are the games that use that. Yeah, I think so. That, that, yeah. that sounds right. Yeah. I, was so gonna, like... I wanted to piggyback off of something Josh said, where, and I, maybe I've mentioned this on the podcast before, but I do fully believe in principle that it is possible to be overly convenienced where you add quality of life on top of quality of life, and then you, uh, you end up at a point where, oh, don't worry if you make the wrong decision because it doesn't end up mattering in the end because we're just going to overly convenience you. And eventually you just end up with like this flavorless muck that never challenges you or never, uh, it never, it never frustrates you or you never have to like work with what you're given. You never have to work with limited resources. I know I'm speaking kind of in generalities, but just in principle, I do think that there's a, there's a tipping point where you add quality of life to an extent where then it ends up just being like, well, now, now what I'm left with just doesn't isn't engaging it's like i forget if i've used this this comparison but it's like given a chessboard and oh how about we just make all the pieces queens because that would just make everything nice and easy and simple no i, I completely <laughs> agree yeah yeah I, I see i see what you mean the um and with josh's point about rough edges there's there's one it's almost like a shame that i really that i enjoyed this but back when oh surprise surprise kingdom hearts <laughs> when um hd 2.5 remix came out on the ps3 because it was on the ps3 and it had like just really weird like bad loading you whenever you enter the drive form you had to wait like five or six seconds every time for it to activate and because i played that so much i just got so used to it like you'd activate it and oh yeah this is epic like it's taking so long to charge up and then <laughs> it came out and, and they fixed it and it was just like inherently a better thing I was like oh that's kind of, that's kind of less epic which, which is so stupid because like it, it shaves like maybe an hour off the, off your playtime overall with all the waiting, but it's just one of those weird things you grow used to, I guess. I was thinking more like designed convenience, not just inherent <laughs> convenience. <laughs> yeah, I like that. I, like that. Yeah, I think know. something like that, like with loading times, is legitimately it's better that they're not there. Yeah, like I agree. I, it, it, it wasn't like a... Yeah, like know, my argument with the uh, auto-retargeting is just that 
in a weird way, it not being there is part of the strategy of the combat where you have to be like, okay, so there's no health bar. So you have to do like mental math and be like, okay, this enemy's almost dead. So I'm going to have my weaker attacker <clears throat> go for them. And then I'm going to have my stronger attackers fight another enemy. And it's like, it, I actually, that was the thing that really engaged me about the combat system. And I feel like if that wasn't there and that wasn't something that I had to consider, I wouldn't have enjoyed Final Fantasy 1 as much as I did. Because otherwise you could just, oh, just cast your highest level spells all the time. Yeah. And, we'll you know, it'll, it'll, it'll work for you. So how come you're, uh, you confused me earlier when you said, like, you're going to go against what your op had said and suggest the PlayStation 1 version. So, like, is it NES or is it PlayStation 1? I'd recommend PlayStation 1, but NES was a better headline. <laughs> I see. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I respect it. But is it like um, tiered where basically it's just like pick I one would, of these two, don't play these three? If you're fine with uh, dealing with bugs and you want to see where the series really came from, then play the NES version. Or better yet, I'm sure there's like ROM hacks out there that are the NES version just with the bugs fixed. So that would probably be the real best way to play it. But um, um, yeah, I, I always I always try to push people to get the purest form of the game when it released. And, and live yeah, but that. if the argument is, oh, the developer's intent, well, the developers didn't intend for half the spells in the game to be broken. Hey, man, that's, that's just game, de- game development, right? You have, to, you have to launch the game when you have to launch the game, so... Yeah. But anyways, yeah, um, yeah overall, I enjoyed Final Fantasy 1. I don't think it's nearly as hard or as grindy as people make it out to be. I, I really don't think it's as bad as people make it out it's, to yeah, be. It's, it's definitely no, like, Dragon Quest 2. How yeah. long did it take you? Uh, I didn't really have a timer on it, so I'm guessing around like 15 hours, something like that. Yeah, I don't that's remember it being too. too long. Yeah, that's not. The back, back when RPGs were neat and tidy. Back. Yeah, but I, that wasn't the only Final Fantasy I finished this week. Uh, uh-huh. I played Final Fantasy 2, and oh, oh no, Adam's not here. <laughs> <laughs> FF2 is cool. I give it a lot of shit, but I, I, I do genuinely... For people uh, listening at home... Uh, the reason I mentioned Adam there is that if um, basically Final Fantasy 2 is the first saga game secretly because like it was so different from pretty much every other game in the series that it ended up spawning its own well its own separate JRPG series within Square. So Saga came after Final Fantasy 2 because they were like, this is neat and there's promise, but we're not putting it anywhere near the mainline Final Fantasy again. It definitely doesn't have mass market appeal because of um, designed. My first memory of Final Fantasy II is so it has the very saga type system where the more you use a weapon type or an ability, the better you get at it. And there's ways to be like, all right, I'm just going to have everyone use axes and attack each other and heal up and like rest at town or something like that <laughs> until their axe proficiency gets really high. And then all of a sudden, I'll just be able to blow through all the enemies with my super powered axe, like Lumberjack. It's just like real life, man. <laughs> and I, I'll, I'll say this about Final Fantasy 2. I feel like, yeah, there's ways to break the game like on your knee. You can just do what Brian said and basically coast through the rest of the game. But I feel like people are way too harsh on the progression system because I think it's actually good. The only problem, the main problems of Final Fantasy 2 are two things. One, the dungeon designs. And two, 
the lack of information the game gets. So I played the PSP version of Final Fantasy 2, which does smooth things over a bit. The one problem is, is that by far the, mo the two most important stats in the game are agility and evasion, which are tied together. But when you equip gear, that will have an impact on your evasion, but that won't show on the equipment page. It'll just show your attack and defense. So you have to go into status to see how much it's impacted your agility and how much it's impacted your evasion. And especially at the end of the game, so <clears throat> regular magic attacks that just deal damage, that's based off of your magic defense. But magic attacks that can deal with status, like stone or toad or something like that, those are based off of your evasion. So like if, if all of your units have like piss poor evasion, you'll run into an enemy that does an AoE stone attack, you'll all die, and then you'll just wipe. And the game doesn't make that clear. It's like, the system is fine. And if you have all the information about the system going in, I think it's really neat. And I think that it has a really fascinating, like, kind of dynamic difficulty curve, where if you're getting the shit beaten out of you in, like, dungeons, and you're taking a ton of damage each battle, well, your defense is going to rise quicker, and so is your HP. It's like you don't need to grind if you know what you're doing. The problem is, is that people feel like they need to grind because there's not enough information given to you that you're inevitably going to make some mistakes. But if you know what you're doing going in, it's... I grinded less in Final Fantasy 2 than I did in Final Fantasy 1. It's, yeah, it is such a system where in Saga-type games, and I've only played Scarlet Grace and then like The Last Remnant, which has some Saga DNA in it, where you just have to go into any battle, I guess, more, more open to the idea of failing. Where if you're playing, I don't know, Final Fantasy X, and you go into a battle and you get the shit kicked out of you. You're either like playing it terribly wrong or you're way under leveled or you're making like a major mistake. Where in a saga game, it's not quite as clear cut. It's more like you're you're supposed to allow yourself to fail and then just go back at it and just shift your just shift your shift your approach just slightly. And then obviously the game will also kind of lift you up in the way that you said, where it'll give you more defense and more HP. Or uh, if you fight a few more battles using a specific weapon, that, that weapon will get stronger and you'll be able to use it more effectively in the next fight. It's, it's just like a different mindset. You almost have to sit like in a different chair when you're playing a game like Final Fantasy 2 compared to a game like Final Fantasy 1. Yeah. So I'll just be clear, I really enjoyed Final Fantasy 2, but again, I can see the, the problems, I can see the faults. Like I said, the two most important stats in the game, the game doesn't give you anywhere near enough information for you to base your strategy off of. There, are, there is a small tutorial at the beginning of the game that gives you some information, but it just doesn't t teach you nearly enough. And I think one of the main reasons why, for example, Saga Scarlet Grace has had a much better reception is because it gives you all of the information that you need. It has a comprehensive guide in the game that you can look towards. So if you're not sure if you're doing something right, you can verify that. And that's basically the rub. It's like Final Fantasy 2 is a good game. It's just, it does have its faults. But many of those faults are a lack of information rather than an inherent fault of the game. There are inherent faults. Like I said, the dungeon designs, well, even the trap rooms, if you use warp, they're not as bad. But still, it's just like, that's a lack of information. Because it's like, oh yeah, warp can immediately get you out of a trap room. It's like, oh, I wish I'd known that. 
So um, I guess there's there's a line between what is a convenience gameplay wise and what is a convenience just going into the game with the knowledge set that you should have in terms of. Though how I they do wonder. Work. Though I do wonder with the original Japanese NES version, how much of that might have been like established in the manual. Because that's a good point. Yeah, because yeah, um, one of the comments on Twitter I got for my Final Fantasy One article was basically saying, "Well, actually, half the game, like on NES, you basically had a walkthrough in the manual that helped you understand like the maps and what to do." And it's like, "Oh yeah, manuals were a thing." Yeah, back when manuals were more like brochures. Yeah, so it's like I don't know, but. I do think if you're if you're listening to this, you should play Final Fantasy 2. It is a good game. Just read up on the mechanics before you start. Because if you know what's expected of you and how the game works, it's a lot of fun. And I think that you'll have a great time. It's just you have to have the right mindset. And more importantly, you have to have the right information going in. This is where Adam would use the phrase acquired taste. <laughs> So, uh, James, well, what follows uh, Final Fantasy 2? Final Fantasy 3. Uh, I'm right. playing the PSP version of uh, Final Fantasy 3 as well. I wasn't sure if I wanted to play the NES version with the fan translation or the 3D remake. I've heard arguments for both. Um, finally, the reason why I ended up choosing the PSP version was convenience for one thing, because I can just buy it and play it on my Vita. But also, um, so if you have a hacked Vita or a homebrewed Vita, there's this uh, thing that's been in development called G-Patch, which is basically a plugin for the PSP system software that people use to basically emulate the PSP's like software that lets you run some PSP games, but the GPU is being like piped into the Vita GPU. It's it's fascinating. It's really weird. Long story short, I'm playing PSP Final Fantasy 3 on my Vita, but it's rendering at native Vita resolution, which is pretty cool. I'll be honest. Kind of that's, that's, that's a project that I, that's, that's ongoing. I didn't know people did that. Yeah. I was actually surprised to hear that you've made significant headway already into 3. Like, <laughs> have you? Uh, yeah, uh, I've unlocked jobs. I'm, around, I, I'm not too far into the game. I've got the ship. I've... I'm basically about to head into the tower, which is um, not the crystal tower, but the first tower in the game, which I'd say that's a decent chunk, like six-ish hours, six, seven, something like that. I don't know. I'm not sure how far into the game that is. It feels like a decent chunk, though, because I'm starting to, uh, I'm, I'm pretty close, I think, to unlocking level four spell charges, so that's something. Uh. Three, I feel like, is very much like a dark sheep of the series because it came out so late for everyone else. Um, I feel like four is where most of us, at least people my age, uh, right around thirty. Well, hmm, I don't know. Cause I feel the original like three didn't never got an official localization back in the day either. Right. I just feels like when I when I think of people's earliest Final Fantasy games, my my mind goes to four, or if you're slightly younger than me, seven. Uh, or I don't know what it would be for George's age. <laughs> 13? Sorry. Ten? Probably 10. <laughs> Dang. Uh, so 3, it just always feels like it's it's like it's the last of that, you know, that progenitor era of Final Fantasy. And it's the one that we had to wait forever for. And it doesn't have like the cool sort of 
you know, trivia that it was a proto saga game. It just kind of has, it's just kind of like tucked away in a corner. Like, oh yeah, Final Fantasy three is also here. Hello, Final yeah. Fantasy three. <laughs> Basically the, the joke I'm going to say is what do you get when you add in, when you add together Final Fantasy one and Final Fantasy two, Final Fantasy three, because here's the secret. <laughs> um, there's not much difference between leveling your job levels in Final Fantasy III versus how you are expected to grind proficiencies for weapons and spells in Final Fantasy II. Because you're essentially doing the same shit. Because if you're using a specific job, obviously you're going to want to do things that that job's proficient at, which, I mean, unless you're just going to stand still and keep defending to, like, grind job experience that way, isn't that basically the same thing you'd be doing in Final Fantasy 2 to, like, grind up your, like, power level for, like, an axe or something. Or a, or a spell or something. Like, in practice, the progression for job levels and for weapon proficiencies and spell proficiencies in Final Fantasy 2 versus the jobs in Final Fantasy 3 isn't that different. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, you make a good point. I've never actually played 3, so I feel like, oh man... Now, now, James is more legit than I am. <laughs> I've got this, <laughs> oh, I've got this spotted history yeah. with Final Fantasy, and he's going to be have this encyclopedic knowledge. You got to go to the God Club now, start with Final Fantasy 1 NES, and uh, come back uh, next week uh, with your thoughts. But yeah, I, it, I'm enjoying it, but I definitely say that so far, shocker, shocker, uh, my favorite one has been Final Fantasy 2, just because of how different it is, and I, I, I do like the progression system quite a bit. But um, I'll see how I feel about 3. I will say that not a huge fan of... Well, the game looks good, unless they're zooming in on things, because it's very obviously a port of a, P well, a DS game. So it's like, it, zoomed out, it looks fine. But as soon as you get close, you can see like the very, very pixelated textures, and it's like, eh, eh. But, I just uh, yeah, I, the, FF3 never made an impact on me when I when I played it. I, I didn't even remember when I first played it. It was just kind of like, yeah, this is a thing, uh, but uh, it never really was like memorable for me. Yeah, I will say one thing that shocked me going through Final Fantasy II is just how much of the series got started there. Like, it's the first entry that has Marlboros, or however you pronounce them. It's the first that has Chocobos. It's the first that has, like, um, bombs. It, there's so much that gets started in Final Fantasy 2, and it's like, huh, surprising. And, of I course, one thing that. that's... Yeah, one of the things that's uh, really fascinating is just, like, going back and playing these games and, like, retroactively getting all of these references that were in 14. Because, like, there's a lot of Final Fantasy 2 references in 14, which is funny. <laughs> um... And similarly with Final Fantasy III, I, I, I'll be honest, at this point, the thing I'm most interested in about three is just getting more of the Final Fantasy III references in 14. <laughs> I, I, like that, I like that you're making, the, you're making this journey just to see, like, what, what, are, what are the things they got out of each Final Fantasy to put into 14, whether as a reference or as a, an actual mechanic. Yeah. That's a, that's a really cool angle to approach this as. Yeah. Are you going to so, be yeah. doing more features? About, oh, like, oh totally. I mean, I, I'm sure I can do a feature about Final Fantasy 2. Like, I think I made the argument that people... I feel like a bunch of the people that say they dislike Final Fantasy 2 and the arguments they use, they kind of prove that they didn't actually play it. 
because they're just parroting things, that if you've actually played the game, the, ma the more major problems isn't the progression itself, it's dungeons and the lack of context given. Yeah, I think I think it's it's not necessarily that like a lot of people haven't played it. I mean, I'll, I'll show you, yes, a lot of people haven't played it for sure. But it's just you know, pe people like to have to, to feel like that the game is respecting their time and and and, and giving that that information available to like you know go through yeah. the game as one would not 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 to say painlessly, but at least like giving you like like you know you said all right like giving you context of, like what you're actually doing or giving some sort of like tangible purpose which is ff2 is a great like departure from that but that's a lot of a, a, a departure from what a lot of people like from rpgs in general as well yeah so yeah i'll probably do something for final fantasy 2 i don't know what i'll do for 3 and i'm not even done with it so it's like my thoughts aren't fully in order yet <clears throat> but um, oh, yeah well i wouldn't think of it like you must do one feature per game because then it ends up feeling like uh, well no <sighs> I feel like that's an interesting way of tackling it, though, because it's like mm. if I'm going to go through the series in order, I feel like I should like try and think about like how I felt about each game and like whatnot. Final it's not three. <laughs> that would be a difficult one. All right. So thanks for sharing your start of your Final Fantasy journey. Even though at the pace you're going, it feels like that's this might not last the whole year. But we'll, we'll see. Maybe once the games start getting longer, and once you start getting into uh direct sequels and things like that so let's go spend like a whole month playing final fantasy 11 oh yeah that's true final month. fantasy 11 will be the uh will be the pacemaker it'll be the... <laughs> you'll, you'll you'll end up there in like april and then by august you'll be like okay <laughs> time to move on all right who wants to go next i don't want to pick someone go for it george all right okay <laughs> um so i think last week i mentioned that i was on the precipice of finishing cyberpunk uh or maybe I had just finished it. By the way, no. I... We, yeah, we talked about it. Uh, we didn't talk about every facet of that game because you know that's, there's a lot to talk about both <laughs> within and without of Cyberpunk. But we talked about it. For oh a yeah, we'll, we'll see you later, won't we? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so that's now fully finished. Uh, did all the endings. Find all of them really depressing, but like I, I kind of respect that. Uh, I think I was saying to you, Brian, like outside of outside one of the podcasts, that it's just nice. It's it's very ballsy of them to all eyes are on this AAA game and like I don't really want to go into spoilers massively, but they could have very easily done endings that satisfy everyone. There could have been I could literally think of some now that like yeah people would love to see that and they don't do any of them. Each ending, some of them have good sides, some of them have bad, but generally they're all like kind of bleak um, and they're not super open for expansion in my opinion. There's a few ways they could do it, but. I, I was just impressed with that. Um, yeah, it does make you wonder how, if they're planning to follow up on this, we'll talk more about that later. They, first of all, just at the at a very base level, which ending will they follow off of? Will they even be set after the endings or or things like that? In general, I find that I, I enjoy more poignant, bittersweet, kind of emotive endings rather than just like, gee whiz, everything is swell now. Yeah, and I, I guess cyber, Cyberpunk, I guess, ticks that box for me. Though there is one particular ending in Cyberpunk that is like deliberately frustrating to an extent where it's like, oh God, this is awful. And like in a way where it's meant, to, it's not awful in terms of like poorly constructed. It's awful in terms of like what happens and what goes down. Yeah. 
And it's that's like that's the one if, I got first as well. And I was like, God, are they all like this? Are they all really long winded? But that one is just specifically like, like you say, it's meant to be almost torturous. Yeah. Uh, so it's, I, I think it's cool just because it's they could have made it so bland and so like. I'll tell. I won't tell anyone what the ending is, but I tell it what it's not. It's not like you are now the best mercenary in the city ever. Goodbye. <laughs> it is not that. <laughs> uh, these these endings are for for everything that cyberpunk I think missteps or kind of handles something you know clumsily or hamfistedly. I don't really think the endings are that. I think the endings are actually. I, I enjoyed them. I, I they make you think. They're not. They're not just giving the player everything they wanted. They're not wish fulfillment. So for that, I kind of I I like how bold they are. Yeah, I completely agree. It, it made me walk away from a game that I started off rocky with, then really started enjoying. Uh, I walked away with it feeling like, yeah, like I, I'm I'm happy with that. I don't think I'll be putting much more time into it. I, I think at this point, it's just better to wait for the big big upcoming update. Wait for uh, it to like tape itself. I'm trying up. to think. <laughs> I to think of like a cyberpunk story or film or book that like. And like ended like on a happy note that like all, all the right people quote unquote won. <laughs> yeah, that's, that, that's a genre thing as well, isn't it? Um, and then after Cyberpunk, basically, like Brian said, January is just backlog crushing month. It's the time where you go, oh shit, I didn't finish any of these. Um, and the biggest Perfect one time for me to do a Final Fantasy marathon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you've got plenty to catch up on there, James. Uh, the biggest. Well, besides Persona 5 Royal, that's kind of a big one. The biggest game on my backlog that's bugged me for so long is uh, Ghost of Tsushima. And I remember when it came out, I think, Josh, you and I talked about it quite a bit, and we both... Uh, I was I was lukewarm on it. I remember very specifically the first first podcast we did when it had come out, I was like, yeah, I don't really see why everyone's loving it. Like, it's okay. And then the next one, I was like, oh, it's actually really good. Maybe I'll, you know, maybe I'll love it. And then I didn't touch it for six months. Uh, it just sat on the shelf, collector edition and all, just like staring. Yeah, that's, that's me at the moment. Like I, I put like maybe 15, 20 hours into it, and like I kind of just stopped. And then I, I probably should start over on PS Five. Mm, well, I'll tell you this now. I, I started playing it, and I was like, right, get this, get this game out of the way. Like this is a Sony exclusive. I, I'm, I'm on top of those. Like we'll get it done. And then I loved it. I, I, I couldn't put it down. The last. I must have been in the last like seven or eight hours and I just I didn't want it to end. I got to the end, I was like, God damn, why didn't I just like why didn't I stick with this game? Uh Do you think do you think it's a good idea for me to like do that mode where everything dies like in one or two hits if you can parry correctly or whatever? Because that uh... seems surprising to me because I, I think that part of like why I I started to bounce off of it was I did too much of the side stuff early on and one that kind of led to burnout and two like I got too overpowered. Like yeah, yeah. They, they just kind of roll over and like die, and like you're just kind of going through the paces. I know for a lot of, for like a lot of people they enjoy that power fantasy, but for me, like I, I like samurai games that are like like very challenging. Like I, I remember liking Neo One a lot for that. Like oh, this is really like kicking my ass. I want to like start to learn this game more intricately, and uh, the, I think that's why I didn't I didn't like the power fantasy that I got. Like it felt like early in, and I was like, "Oh man, is everything just me?" Like, uh, yeah. See, I, I I did the opposite where I I I tried to blitz through the story just to just to finish the game, which was a stupid way of doing it, but that's how I tried. So I was only really powerful towards the end uh, when you unlocked the ghost stance, and then by then it felt earned, like it felt thematic, like I was powerful because Jin was powerful. Hmm. Uh, so I I feel like 
the combat system there is definitely open to be more challenging. I think you could really get a lot out of it. But personally, I, I love I love that I'm now so powerful that I'm just like half sneaking in, half not. Like, who cares? I can take them all down anyway. Uh, and now I'm just going around cleaning up the map. Like, I have so many other games to get on with, but Ghost just kind of went, no, you, you're going to... You're gonna play more of me, and I'm like, oh man. Yeah, I, I still, I, remember, yeah, I do remember enjoying that, like how fluid it is the the switch between stealth and action. Like, I I never feel too like disheartened if I if my my stealth approach like didn't go through. It's like okay, yeah, exactly. well, let's just uh, go go wipe the all these enemies. Like, I, I like that kind of constant balance between like I, if you I, if you if you didn't stealth, you that's it, it's all over. That's not that kind of game. I still don't know if. I, I tweeted about this. I don't know if I'd call it a game of the year contender. Uh, well, I definitely wouldn't call it my game of the year. We've all talked about this at five hours length. But I wish I'd finished it last year so I could at least... It would have made my top ten because it is a really good game. Um, and on PS5 as well, like like you said, you should restart on PS5 or continue it on PS5 because it, it is nice and day difference. It looks beautiful, loads so fast, and it's just completely different in 60 frames. Yeah, that that really bugged me about the PS4 Pro. It's like, oh, here's like the 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 frame rate the the preset, and it's like I don't really see a difference between the quality <laughs> and the, the frame rate. <laughs> uh, am I missing something? <laughs> that was so weird on PS4 Pro. <laughs> yeah, it. I think it has haptic feedback as well. Like, I I think it must still on the burn arrow. So like, it feels to me I'm same with the last of us. On the PS5, when you when you switch it to quality, that still maintains 60 on the quality preset on PS5. It must. Be. I I I don't think I've messed with the settings. I think when I just booted it up, it was 60 frames. I was like, oh, cool. Okay. But I imagine that it's 4K 60. Off the top of my head, that's what it, that's what it seems like. It's such a gorgeous game as well. Like I completely forgotten. It's one of those games where other games with their photo mode i feel like if i if i go into photo mode like i'm being artsy i'm like oh i might make a cool thing out of this and then with ghost Tsushima, it's like it already looks so good that it's like really daunting going into photo mode i'm like how do i make this look good it already looks good so many other people yeah. have done this mm-hmm. yeah the, yeah i want to get to ghost of Tsushima too I, w- I was waiting for uh, um getting it on ps5 because mm-hmm. i i, I I'm pretty sure they announced even before the PS5 was out that they were going to patch it for a PS5 and whatnot. Yeah, and like 100% recommend. Before I was like, yeah, play it if you, if you know, if you like Sony games. But now I'm like, no, this is good, and I really can't wait for the sequel. Uh, so that's the backlog adventures. Done. Did you try the Legends mode, the multiplayer thing? Yeah. Uh, very briefly. I actually I talked to CD as in Nintendo Insider CD about it, and he this is Alex wants to do it as well. We we've talked about it, and he said that he'd be interested in doing that mode. So I think at some point I'll go into it, but I, I, I don't know. Like apparently it's quite good, but just multiplayer modes for single player games don't really grip me that much. I had my Uncharted two obsession, and then you know <laughs> I burnt out. It's kind of weird. Uh, like whenever a uh... First of all, I just want to say that I've, I've realized over time that George and I kind of have different ways in which we tackle multiple games. I always play like a limited number of games, but if I start it, I almost always finish it before moving on to something else. And George like just kind of like dips his toes into everything. Like, oh yeah, I played a little bit of Crash and a little bit of Ghost of Shima and a little bit of this and a little bit of 
that, but I fell <laughs> off. Then I came back to it. And I'm just like, I start something and I finish it. And then I start something and then I finish it. Uh, hey, see, it stressed me like George, but then I felt like I was never finishing games. So once what? I started doing the 52 games a year thing, I started, I started playing games like uh, Brian plays games because it feels like it, it really does force you to get through it. Because if you're not liking a game, but it's like, okay, but I'm going to finish it, then it's like, okay, just got to rush through it. Well, this well, is I, my problem. I find that every every game that I like half pick up, so like Ghost of Tsushima, and I don't finish them, it is just so daunting that by and then January, by the time you get back to it, yeah, and like I I don't know, it it's a fun way of doing it because I can come out and say, okay, I played like so many games this year and I've done this and that, but then I go back to something like Ghost of Tsushima and I'm like, okay, this map is like fifteen percent cleared. I still have so many hours put into this like that someone would put into it just playing it normally so i'd I, also say this that, year i think i should change it a bit yeah i'd say that's also the other reason why i don't do what you do is because so much of my backlogs rpgs and i feel like if i play an rpg for like 20 hours it's like a 60 hour rpg and then i put it away and i come back it's like what the hell was i doing yeah yeah like and, it's not i would not recommend my way <laughs> And as a as a related conversation, this is some, something that I do. I know this is kind of a tangent, but I think it's an interesting one. Is that even if I have an active PlayStation Plus subscription or Game Pass or whatever, I find myself typically, unless it's something I was looking forward to, like majorly anyway, I don't really grab free games from those services. You know, free in air quotes, just because like I don't want to muddy the waters. Like I have a regimen. I have games that i want to play this and then this and like and if someone throws like oh here's some game for free on playstation plus this month i'll be like uh, if i if i want to get around to that later i'll just buy it like i don't need to grab yeah, every free game. Totally the same yeah, way. Yeah. I, yeah, I use I feel the I same use way that. it's like i still I'm, use game pass but only for specific games i know i want to play like ori like i played it on game pass because it's like it's a game here. i would have bought anyways yep. And there's people who make the argument like well just just log in and download those free playstation plus games because you might get to them later and like there is in that person, this hypothetical person I just made up is 100% correct. Like I could download these free games and then play them later and be down, you know, nothing. But I just, it just muddies the water, even in a way that you can't really, is not really tangible. I just, Brian and say, I like, just want to actually finish our backlogs. And if we, if we redeemed every PlayStation Plus and Xbox Live game every month, that would never happen. I'm never gonna finish my backlog. Uh, I, I will die not not finishing my backlog. Well, I actually, I actually have a conversation me. about this once I get to what I've been playing. Well, I did also want to piggyback on one last thing George said uh, before we hand it back to him. Sorry, sorry, George, we're hogging the mic. Uh, <laughs> um, you mentioned multiplayer modes and single player games. For me, it's weird. I'm all I'm either feast or famine. Either I completely ignore it, or I end up like just going in and just like devouring it and like 100%ing it like for instance the original red dead redemption sorry red dead redemption yeah um had an online component this was before like red dead online existed yeah i remember that mm -hmm. and yeah, like i, I actually I, I actually went into that and i like did everything like all of the achievements so i have i, I played it on xbox 360 so i had like 1500 achievement points out of the base a thousand because uh, the multiplayer was like separated off or something like that and like i don't know even like i can't tell you why i did it i don't play tons of multiplayer games of that nature that game i fully enjoyed as a single player experience but i kind of just made the decision one day like why not let's get into it and then i enjoyed it the same is true for mass effect 3 multiplayer 
Uh, I really got into that. It helps that when that game first came out, the multiplayer was required to get the best war score, to get the best ending, which might be ironic in hindsight about how the ending of that game ended <laughs> up. Uh, they ended up removing that requirement, and I'm assuming that the remaster won't have that. But I ended up like putting not a ton of time, but you know, 15 or 20 hours just into the multiplayer mode of that game. But then like everything else, I kind of ignore. Like I, I, I don't, I like Doom multiplayer. Don't even, didn't even, pretend it didn't exist. Like didn't care. I remember, like the okay, yeah. The weirdly enough, the game that sticks out the most in my mind uh, when it comes to those kind of game modes um, is uh, Resistance Two. I freaking love the multiplayer of Resistance Two. I put hundreds of hours into it with friends. There was something about the way it handled multiplayer, like the like the class role system and how you uh, navigated like to, throughout the levels at the highest difficulty in that game. It was like. It was. It really stuck with me, and I have no idea why. I was I the same for. Uh, sorry, sorry, Josh Karen. That was to say. Also, Killzone Two. I put a lot of hours into that as well because I, I like the way it. Um, I, I'm not sure why more games didn't copy Killzone Two's uh, multiplayer match uh, matches in the way that like you had different objectives seamlessly going in, uh, shifting into it uh, throughout the map. So, like, say in this map that you're putting on. It's like it's it's a team death match, and after that mode's done, it would go to like King of the Hill, and then after that's done, it'll like go into another game, but just seamlessly in the same map until that uh, until it cycles off to another map. It just it kind of kept everything like going and flowing in a way that like it, it was really fun, and I was I was very I'm still kind of a little bit baffled that like more games didn't try to copy that back in the day. Anyway, go on. I think the. I think I, I did briefly mention it earlier, but my number one multiplayer aspect of a single player game would be Uncharted. So Uncharted two, three, and four. Oh hell yeah, those are fun. Fantastic multiplayer modes, and like I'm, I'm generally, I think we've said it before, I'm not really a massive multiplayer guy. Like it's something like Avengers, for example. I played all of that on my own and did a few like co-op missions after, but something about the Uncharted games and the way they handled it, it just it just felt really good. Like it's just it was just so much fun. Um, I really need to get back in Uncharted 4 multiplayer because apparently that's like still going. Oh so, wow! Okay, yeah. I, I forgot that I had a multiplayer thing. So last up on the um on what I've been playing, uh, and this is one I've been very excited for. I was actually playing it last week, but obviously I couldn't talk about it because of embargoes. But uh, I reviewed Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the Game Complete Edition, um, which doesn't sound for I Nintendo Insider, right? Yes, for Nintendo yeah. Insider, uh. It doesn't sound like a massive deal because it is a re-release, but like I, I can't even put into words. I am such a huge Scott Pilgrim fan. Um, like I, I started off with the graphic novels and the film, then the game. Uh, and I, in my review for it, I kind of wrote this up and talked about it a bit. But as I've gotten older, yes, I do get older. I'm not that young. <laughs> um, I've been mm. able to like go back and read the books, and I've been able to go back and watch the film. And you kind of see how it evolves over time. Like in the film, I find it, it gets funnier the older I get because I get a few more of the references and the subtle jokes. And then the books, you kind of understand the story a bit more. So and, like, and for people who don't know Scott Pilgrim, like the premise is basically that there's like these, uh, uh, this guy meets this girl and he has like, she has like this evil ex boyfriends, I think. I'm trying to remember this, the premise of Scott Pilgrim. Well, it's so basically Scott Pilgrim. The, the whole point of it is that 
I used to think it was this big like game reference. Oh yeah, awesome action. But the the point of it more is that like Scott Pilgrim's a massive douche that's just finding his way through life. Uh, and back when I first read it, I was like seventeen or maybe six, maybe even younger than that. And it was just like, oh yeah, cool. He's funny. Like he he's so cool and relatable, and he gets all the girls, and he has to fight seven evil exes, and it's so wacky. But now, as I'm twenty two, the age that Scott Pilgrim is at the start. And he's just like floating through life. He doesn't have a care in the world. He doesn't have a job. He just mooches off people. He's like not really good with girls, but thinks he is. And he just like pushes all of his negative elements away and just like fakes it till he makes it. I'm just like, oh my God, that's kind of like, I'm, I'm not really like that. But there are moments when you can find yourself be like that. And I'm like, wow, this is so relatable. Um, and that's something that's been so fascinating. As I get older, I'll go back and watch them and read them and i'll be like okay wow like yeah this is this is maturing with me i don't know if that'll happen when i'm 30 and i go uh, back. Yeah, imagine the wisdom that george will levy onto this podcast <laughs> when he's already <laughs> <laughs> i'm being i'm being genuine though because it's cool to like revisit something that you played when you were young it's one thing to revisit something and you're just like oh, i don't know how i ever liked it i don't like it anymore but it's one thing to like still enjoy it but for slightly shifted reasons or you just you yeah. interpret it a different way that's that's when you like i don't know there's a lot of self reflection that goes on when you when you do something like that well it's like it still is all those things where it is this awesome action it's funny and it, it's just like all around great but just to find like a deeper connection with it it's so great and then the game famously i could never do that like I, I had it when it came out uh really enjoyed it i, put, I must have played it for hours and hours because like just the first few levels were stuck on stuck in my head on loop until this came out uh i never finished it back then and then i never could finish it because the xbox i had bricked uh so lost to time i guess uh, right, so, so the context here is that this game was essentially unavailable for years unless you had it downloaded onto a hard drive because of Six licensing. Years, yeah, it's delisted for many years now. And it's fantastic. It, it's This is the thing. This is what surprised me. This is, like, I guess the core of what I'm trying to say is that I didn't get the chance to go back and see if it had aged as well as the other two uh, versions of it have. And, like, I'm really happy to say, I'm not surprised to say, really, but it, it's, it's just so good. It's fantastic. And I, I'm obviously a little bit of a fanboy. Scott Pilgrim, if if this like half an hour rant hasn't got that to you, but it like as someone who played Streets of Rage four last year, and I really enjoyed that, I really got into that. Like Scott Pilgrim as a beat 'em up is just like just as good. It is so so good. If you remove all of the Scott Pilgrim elements, I mean, I probably enjoy it less, but it's like it's still a, like a really good game. Did they add anything new to this release, or did they like I don't I forgot if the original release had DLC and it's now bundled in. Well, it's this this is the only part that's kind of a letdown is there's nothing new to it which which is kind of fine because just just having it available again is you know good enough good enough for me anyway uh but the dlc that was added to the game which again i missed way back when kind of sucks um (laughs) my mode which is like okay cool again i won't really use that but good it's there and then you've got two new characters uh one is knives and the other is wallace and to anyone who doesn't know they're it's surprising they weren't in the original game to start with because they're two of the most popular characters from the whole series it would go in my head it would go scott ramona knives and then wallace just 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 off the top of my head as like popular characters and they're just kind of reskins like they're, they're smash bros clones of characters already on the roster echo fighters echo <laughs> fighters that's it and 
I, I was really excited. I was like, oh, yeah, I can't wait to play as Wallace. And he's like, he's just Steven Stills with a few like rainbow animations because he's gay. I was like, okay, so <laughs> that, that's kind of pointless. Uh, it's, it's harmless, though. Like, it's just now it's just something that's part of the game. But back then, like, if I bought that, I'd be like, what the hell have I just paid for? Does this release have online multiplayer? I'm trying to remember if the original was only local or not. The original was a like when it first launched, it was only local. Then they added it through DLC as online multiplayer, and mm. now this version is has it just from the get go. Okay. So it, it's better for that. Overall, it's like it's it's the same game, but I guess time has just made it better. Like just having something like that from the get go. Yeah, uh, I can't recommend it enough. I I adore it. Like. Like I've said, Scott Pilgrim's one of my favorite things ever, and we probably won't ever get anything else from it. Like, if I, in, if in a year or two I come back, I'm like, oh my god, more Scott Pilgrim. You can come back and make fun of me for saying this, but Scott Pilgrim is one of those things where it had its time. It's the 10th anniversary now. There's not going to be a, a, a new book series. There's not going to be a new film. There's not going to be another game. So just to have this in my mind as like a final hurrah, I hope it's not, but I, I think it is. Like, I think that's a really fitting way to send it off and you know i'm gonna buy it i've already bought it on every console it's on uh but i'm gonna buy a physical edition just to <laughs> make sure it doesn't go away again yeah, yeah, we'll have to, you'll have to let us know uh next year when it finally shows up <laughs> <laughs> as someone who my only my only real experience with beat-em-ups are like when i was really young playing in the arcades like turtles in time or something like like those those, yes. those side-scrolling uh tmnt games and it seems like it's kind of been so that's not a genre I, I know much about, but there's, it seems like there's been a lot for fans in terms of like River City Girls and Streets of Rage and now Scott Pilgrim's back. And then uh, I guess Battletoads, though, that's not quite as much of a beat em up and it wasn't received as well. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's that's one of those games where like I had always heard so much about it growing up and then the, it got it kind of kind of floundered when it re like but battletoads is back and then a week later no one cared or very few people cared. <laughs> that is the story of battletoads that's literally the plot of it where they come back and no one cares they're like okay who are you guys <laughs> that is what happened to battletoads well but i guess i guess that <laughs> came more like it's like it's like oh people wanted this back <laughs> I guess. But anyways, I those other three games I mentioned, Streets of Rage, uh, Scott Pilgrim, and River City Girls were all all seemingly well-received, so really cool for fans of that, uh, that style of game. All right, uh, Josh, I want to go last, so I'm going to make you go next. Okay. okay. All right. Um, so uh, I received a, a preview code for uh, Persona 5 Strikers. Um, earlier and i've been i have a several hours into it i can only talk about uh up until the first like main stage but this is the the sequel spinoff coming from atlas and koei tecmo games developed by the lovely people at omega force which you may know as the people who've done uh dynasty warriors samurai warriors um hyrule warriors dynasty warriors gundam one piece warriors <laughs> Um, other <laughs> warriors games anyway uh the, the warriors genre or people also like, also uh, tweak it in tokaiden to, oh yeah Toka, i don't know did they omega force do tokiden i i can believe it sure um, let me double check <laughs> yeah, <I laughs> guess, I yes they probably. did okay, okay yes um so yeah this this is a the warriors subgenre of um, uh, the mosu um and 
it's I was kind of surprised at how much I I like this game. I'm having a lot of fun with it. Um, I think coming as a person who has followed a lot of Omega Force games, especially in their early days, I like like Dynasty Warriors two to five, and like I didn't like six, but I, but I keep up with the Dynasty Warriors games, and I played a good chunk of the Samurai Warriors games, and I played the Dynasty Warriors Gundam and a good chunk of the spinoffs. And whatnot. I, I like where they've been going on, like advancing their formulas to, uh, you know, by baby steps, and whatnot. Like with Hyrule Warriors uh, and uh, Hy- Hyrule Warriors: Age of Calamity. Like they're starting to like get like a formula that's not just, hey, you know, uh, kind of like a bare bones story scenes and then bat- like a full on battlefield stage and whatnot. Like in the early Dynasty Warriors games, like they were cool and I liked them for their time. But you know, the the formula gets stale. And whatnot with Persona Five Strikers. This takes place uh, half a year after the original Persona Five, not the Royal release. So characters like Kasuma, uh, Kasumi, and Maruki uh, aren't acknowledged because this is the follow-up to the original game, which didn't have those characters. Um, it's it's a lot more story-heavy and narrative-heavy than I was expecting out of Omega Force, but it it works to its benefit. It it genuinely feels like like a like a mini sequel, uh, in a sense, uh, you have the main character coming back, uh, you know, the, during his summer vacation and whatnot. So everyone has free time, and the story setup is: Hey, you know, they were pl- planning like this whole big uh, trip to have fun during summer vacation, but then th- things start getting weird. Like the a new threat has arrived. Um, th- there's this new instead of palaces this time, you have jails. And then there's this whole, you know, plot. I, I won't spoil it, like how this comes to be, but essentially the, they're infiltrating um, people's hearts again. And uh, it, the story setup is very similar, where they're trying to change someone's cognition and whatnot. But the actual real life effects are are contextualized very differently this time around. So, like in this one, yeah, uh, there are people like uh, getting. Th- transported into the metaverse and getting their desires stolen from the shadows in it and this has real life effects on them they're, they they don't necessarily die in real life but they become like very obsessed with this person when their desires get stolen in the metaverse and that leads like self-destructive behavior like for this instance the, this first person of interest that they're going up against like that they're getting this person's merch they're getting they're breaking up with their significant others because they're so obsessed with this person of interest and uh, so the that's why they're infiltrating the jails not only to change this person's heart but also to get the desires back for these people to turn them quote-unquote normal again like you know get, resume the normal behavior I think yeah twist yeah it, it's, a, it's a really cool like expansion of that idea and i really like that at least for this first arc like it, it coincides with like a, a person uh in your group so they're kind of like more like um, a follow-up or epilogue almost of the, this character's episode as well. It's like, oh, I can really relate to this person of interest that we're going up against. Like, I can see where they went wrong. Like, that, this personally speaks to me. Like, it, it, I like that there's, like, parallels, like, like to this person's experience uh, related. Uh, someone in your group is finding it relatable. It's like, oh, this spe- speaks to me on a personal level. And uh, the, obviously, the, per- the biggest point of divergence is the combat system. Uh, I like how they uh, did this, uh, how Omega Force treated this. It would be easy for them 
to like rely back on the formula where it's a big sprawling battlefield with like you know hundreds of like demons on screen and like you go through it like a typical dynasty warriors or samurai warriors or even high rule warriors you know where they they do that instead they do a really uh interesting thing where you still have to uh sneak around uh these levels there are like the you know the the shadows the the like these guards going around and you have to like kind of sneak up on them and ambush them and when you you know rip off their mask uh it'll turn like into this like mini battlefield arena where you you combat these demons uh so it's not like oh you're going to like point a to point b to point c and there's just like there's always going to be like hundreds of demons in your way it's like no you still have to sneak around these jails and once you rip off their mask obviously all combat is in real time now it's not a turn-based game uh you have your standard uh heavy and light attacks everyone has a unique move set and early on you know you have everyone from the original phantom thieves available to you you know to play around with and you have a new character named sophie uh who is kind of an interesting character because she's not not necessarily a human she's an ai uh that you've meet in the metaverse early uh early on her main weapons are yo-yos and it's really fun and everyone has like their own little neat like gimmick to their playstyle, along with their own unique move sets where say Anne, she has her whip and you you charge it up and set it on fire and whatnot and that'll enhance her attacks and with sophie you can enhance her like her attack uh weapon and range so like her yo-yo attack range is even like further out and as you use these characters in battle uh you'll learn master arts which are like like different they'll add different like moves to your move set or you can have different follow-up attacks so like let's say um Ryuji has a cool one where uh, yeah, like he does this whole batter swing uh, type move, and like one of his master arts is like you can charge it up even longer for a bigger attack, and then you can follow it up. Or and another master art for him is like after you charge up this attack, like Captain Kid will come out and uh, join you in this attack. It's a, it's really cool how they differentiate these characters uh, and their move sets. It's also really cool because. It, it takes out elements from like their actual um, movesets from in the game. And also what's really cool is that it, um, they don't like they everyone has like their own personas. And so anytime during battle, as long as you have SP, you can uh, or HP, you can uh, pull up your personas and it'll freeze time. and then you can choose like a spell, like say, hey, I want to cast this fire spell. and like you can um, cast it at your at your own leisure like you don't have to like cast it in real time and then it, it'll do that and if like if it hits a, a enemy's weakness uh you, they'll get knocked down and just like in the game you can uh, like do an all-out attack so everyone will join in in this like like uh aoe attack uh, that you got for free because um you know you hit a weakness and there's a really nice flow to combat in this battle between like sort of like a hybrid like hey real time like uh beat em up and as well as like uh, taking your time to figure out like you want to cast a spell do you want to cast a buff do you want to cast a debuff uh and whatnot and it's just it it feels i, I was very surprised that there was so many like ways they like weaved the story and narrative ele- elements and and by like the, like in like early dynasty warriors and samurai warriors games and even uh, like hyrule warriors to an extent like the the story bits like the, yes, there is story to them, but it's very like off to the side, like that, like kind of. It's presented very linearly, very like kind of. It's it's more treated as like an afterthought, not not necessarily with Hyrule Warriors, but certainly for older Omega Force games. And this one, there's actually like, 
like an attention to detail in them that like hey you're you're reconnecting with your old pals at leblanc and you can actually explore around uh outside of the battlefield like in the real world so like when you have to like dig up info on this person of interest you like do like this this investigation so you're actually exploring around real world shibuya and like there's not necessarily you're not forced into battles into a chain of battles and stages like there's like an actual like follow through on the story itself um there's like there's so much to it that i'm kind of like baffled by it like they throw a lot of systems at you very fast uh aside from just like you know the real time battles uh you don't necessarily have social links in this game so it's a kind of a more slimmer experience but they kind of find other ways to supplement it like you have this bond gauge uh when you go through story and through battles so and when you fill up that gauge like gain a bond level you get these bond points and you can expend those as uh uh for other like passive abilities so like you can expend those to, like upgrade your hp or upgrade your sp or you can upgrade them to uh like upgrade your lock picking level to uh go pick more uh trickier treasure chests in the map uh there's also demon fusion in this game as well so when when you uh defeat enemies there's a chance for them to drop their mass and that's how they join you you don't necessarily do the demon negotiation it's just hey they drop it and then they join you or if you get like a duplicate mask you gain like uh these persona enhancement points so when you go into the velvet room you can spend these points uh to just level up various demons like let's say if you're trying to like gun for a specific uh skill for this demon you can just like spend those points to manually level them up and whatnot and and demon fusion works similarly where you can fuse two demons i don't know if like more in-depth demon fusion options um open up like in the main game but it's really nice of them to like kind of just take like these elements from the persona uh five game and try to like contextualize it in a way that like it's still very distinctly like a dynasty warriors game gameplay wise so you know you'll you will have the it'll I'm not going to say this will be the game that like makes you a true believer in Omega Force games or Dynasty Warriors games and that Mosu um, game uh, flow, but I think it's it's really worth seeing like what the story has because I I think there there's it's a, it's a really nice divergence from not only the typical Omega Force game but also just like what would what would a Persona story look like once like the main big troubles and the series like are out of the way and it's kind of like a, an epilogue of that and i think it's really cool to see these characters like get looks back like together Persona 3 the answer uh <laughs> no it's not it's actually it's actually a big step up from like um how previous persona spinoffs have been like the the q uh dungeon cars i didn't really like that how the story was in like the persona q games they have some cool mechanics because like, like arena games or arena arena is like really cool fighting game but like I think the first arena, Persona 4 Arena, had like a, a decent story, but Persona Ultimax's story was like fucking garbage. Like I hated Ultimax's story. So as someone who hasn't played a Dynasty Warriors or any Omega Force, uh, except for Tokaiden, uh, I haven't played any Zoe game. Um, mm-hmm. But I, so you just gave this really big in depth uh, description about how this game is both similar and different from other games under Omega Force. Uh, and now here I am going to talk like an authority, even though I, I will admit I haven't played any of them. But from an outsider's perspective and having covered it for the website, 
I feel like there was a shift where a few years ago when we were covering Fire Emblem Warriors and the original Hyrule Warriors, it feels very much like this is a skin of a familiar game for fans. And it's something where it's like, it's not hiding what it is. It's very clearly, this is a Warriors game borrowing an IP from another publisher. And then we have, I, I've watched, when I went home for the holidays, I, I watched my brother, it was, it was just my immediate family, um, play Age of Calamity. And it just feels like it goes to that next level where it looks so much like a follow-up to Breath of the Wild. They work so closely with Nintendo as the publisher there. And then I watched you play a little bit of Strikers. And it feels like if I wasn't paying attention, if I was like lazily like had it on a side monitor or whatever, it feels like a Persona game. Like it doesn't, it no longer, it's kind of those two games in tandem. I feel like they're, they're going the extra mile where like, yes, at its core, you can see that it's it's not hiding from the fact that it's that muso dna in it but it's presenting itself in interesting ways and, and, and implementing these different ideas that are borrowing from the series that they're you know presenting towards now that fire emblem warriors and the original hyrule warriors didn't seem to absolutely it, and when you use the phrasing like this is the game to make you believe in in warriors games i think earlier in the podcast for age of calamity we that same phrasing was kind of used it's, it feels like they're like if i were to play any two warriors games they would be these two these two recent ones uh persona five strikers and uh age of calamity just because they they go that extra mile and they they kind of really what do people enjoy about the series or the game more specifically the one game in the in the case of these two games persona five and breath of the wild and what can we do to bring that to our framework of a game it's like and it just seems, it's, it seems like it's a better product in the end because of that kind of that love and attention to detail. Yeah, I think it's really impressive. Like, Omega Force has really come a long way. And with Age of Calamity and Persona 5 Strikers, like, they're really starting to, like, strike their, like, they're, they're starting to fully realize that, like, what we have as a framework, like, it's not necessarily that, like, what we have is necessarily bad, but the, the way we contextualize it, like, you said with Fire Emblem Warriors in the first Hyrule Warriors game, like those feel like skins of the Dynasty Warriors and Samurai, War Samurai Warriors games, and like there is merit to that, but it doesn't really you don't really engage with those IPs in, in that framework. Unlike with Age of Calamity and Persona Five Strikers, like there is like a narrative and the and like the 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 flavoring around it is much more sweeter, and it, it feels you feel more immersed in that. You can buy it now uh, as a premise instead of like oh. Especially with Fire Emblem Warriors, it's like, oh, they're kind of wow. just. You well, know, now that I look it, at it, Fire Emblem Warriors, I guess, did do things with like the weapon triangle and things like that. But yeah. just from from an outside perspective, I just didn't. It felt more like, oh, it's just, it's just a, it's just a borrowing an IP for another Warriors game. But these those most recent two entries, I just haven't for whatever reason. Maybe it's a personal thing. Maybe it's how they've marketed it. But I'm just less cynical off the bat. In fact, Fire Emblem Warriors has suffered from like. Especially as time went on, when you had DLC characters like being having these repeated move sets, like James earlier with uh, with even Scott Pilgrim, like there, there's these DLC characters that they introduced that they were just they were just basically recently. I didn't know I played Scott Pilgrim, <laughs> right? <laughs> or not, sorry, George, my bad. Great. Um, <laughs> that was a earlier uh, early podcast earlier podcast joke for for another week, like last week. <laughs> people listening but yeah um 
it just it, it feels bad like you're devaluing the game when you introduce like these additional characters and they're just basically working off of existing move sets of characters already in the game and fire emblem warriors definitely suffered from that and it just feel it, it, you just feel bad about your purchase overall when they really introduce content like that unlike with age of calamity and persona 5 Stri- strikers where each character feels distinctly different their battle plans are distinctly different from one another and it's like the way you play the, these characters like yusuke for example has a really cool mechanic in the game where like his triangle is like just a counter like so you you press triangle and he goes to this counter stance and then once something hits him like he'll go to like this whole like ei animation where like he he, un- he sheaths back his blade and as a, he does that he does a virgil thing where like there's cuts on screen and whatnot so he's basically just kind of like, a, a, like virgil in this game with his battle plan and it's really cool to see and it's it's really fun and i like messing around with all the different characters in this game like and, and because of the master art system, I'm incentivized to do that to unlock more of their skill uh, attributes and skill trees and whatnot. So I've been to, I've been kind of just ro- rotating characters inside and outside of my party uh, to get those uh, master arts for them, and it's cool to see like how each character is different from one another, and it's really fun. So I, I'm very impressed with what I've played with the game so far. Um, I won't say too much because I know a lot of people don't want to be spoiled on the game. Um, but I think it's for Persona fans who want to see more of like uh, what this group is up to. I think you know it's not turn based, but I think there's just enough of like Persona Five elements in this game that like it, you won't be too like it, it won't feel too weird to you. You know, it, I think I think the way they 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 weaved in per- so many Persona Five mechanics in the actual real time. Battle system is really cool, and I really like what they've done. Before we move on, I just want to make a note. We didn't cover this specifically on our site, but um, there was a little bit of insight from one of the game's English voice actresses, um, Erica Harlatcher, who in one of her YouTube videos, she talked about basically, and this was maybe expected, but the reason why Strikers came out, you know, it took such a long time to come out in English was due to the fact that it was greatly, you know, disrupted by covid so uh, I, I guess the original plan was to have it out much sooner, but it just, you know, got upended and, you know, you can't always have the flexibility and the nimbleness that you, that you were planning on when all of a sudden you got to make sure all your voice actors can work from home and has the right setup and can get all their, get all their work done in the same quality, you know, system that you want. So, uh, we didn't cover that, but, uh, uh, Silicon era has an article on it and uh-huh. obviously Erica's YouTube video for the primary source on that so just a little bit of insight about why we had to wait a bit for this yeah and, and we're over. gonna start we're gonna, keep, we're gonna keep on seeing delays now that we're seeing like we, we, we couldn't really grasp like the scope of how how covid really impacted game development and game localization last year because it was just like starting and we got through the first months of it but now we're really gonna see like now that it's settled in as part of like everyday life you know the, like a, a lot of like a good chunk of news this week is about delays and we're like, gonna get to it. It. yeah we're gonna, we're gonna talk yeah. about <laughs> yeah we're gonna we're gonna get to it but yeah you know it's very understandable and uh, hopefully people are are understanding like you know covid uh, affected a lot of things behind the scenes especially game development and game localization schedules got all screwed up and yeah it's definitely understandable now i want to hear you talk about the second game that you uh that you wrote here. <laughs> yeah uh, yeah, o- over the Christmas break, uh, you know, I-, I asked everyone from from family, and so it's not like they're they're making a statement or anything. Like I, <laughs> <laughs> you know, 
Uh, but uh, I specifically asked for this from family because I was thinking like, oh, what should I, they want to give me a Christmas gift? What should I get? So I, I asked for a Ring Fit Adventure because now they're all very much indoors, you know. Uh, Top 10 like, 2019 uh, RPG. Yeah. Alex, uh, this, wasn't he? Yeah, I, re- I really like it. Um, you know, I have the, the, you know, obviously the wheel and uh, so, like a like a fitness headband and a yoga mat and whatnot ready to go. But <laughs> I, uh, yeah, but I, I put uh, quite quite a few like hours into this already. I like uh, been trying to keep up on it uh, almost daily. Uh, obviously, taking rest days to like you know let my muscles recover and whatnot from workouts. Um, this is a really really cool take on like the not only just like the fitness genre of video games that have been trying the, their best to, um, you know, how do we gamify workouts so, you know, more people, you know, d- do uh, workout in a healthy manner, but also in, in a way that kind of... Uh, look, we're, we're over here at RPG site, we, we obviously have a, a love for RPGs and affinity for RPGs, but also want to see the, the numbers get bigger. Uh, and this is a, a fun way to do that. So... Uh, uh, you know, a lot of people know how what Ring Fit Adventure already is. It's kind of uh, the game where, uh, like, a turn-based RPG, but in order to like execute attacks on enemies, you have to do like workouts. So you have to do squats. Uh-huh. You to, uh, you, yep, you have to like uh, uh, twist your body. Sometimes you have to do like sort of like yoga poses. Sometimes you have, to, <laughs> you have to lay down and like uh, you know lift your knees up to your chest and do that repeatedly. And get all like you know just the various workouts that are like yeah, it's good for you and it's it, this uh, the nice thing of like uh, showing you like hey this workout this is the part of body that it's affecting this is what you're working out and if you're like super out of shape the first like you know to, like two to three days will be somewhat taxing and this game is very good about like checking in daily when you put it when you when you get your half hour to hour workout out of it or you know or, or less uh, depending on how what you can handle. Is very good about like just checking in with you daily of like, hey, is the difficulty good for you, or do you want us to uh, tone it down, or are things too easy? Do you want us to bring it up just a little, you know? And it's very good about just like uh, making sure that like you're getting your your workout your workout in a way way that's like not too taxing for you. So after like maybe two or three stages for me, uh, it'll say, hey, you wanna you wanna like uh, take a break for now like uh, call it a day and then you can always break it up again out of that and i'm usually like yeah sure why not you know like uh, i'm getting like uh i'm already feeling fired up and like and, and sweating a lot and whatnot but if you think hey game if you think it's good for me to stop here i don't actually know like what's like a healthy amount so if you think it's good for me then sure then we can call it a day here <laughs> so, and it's really cool how it like unlocks systems as like you progress so after like the second or third world uh, you'll unlock this skill for like your ring con buddy and he's like hey i found the new uh, you retrieve one of my powers and that power was like ele- elemental weaknesses so like so th- this, th- these workouts like will do uh, bonus damage if you can match up colors um and what was the most recent one i, I think i just re- recently uh unlock crafting in the game so i can like craft smoothies now even this game has a crafting system yeah even this game has crafting system (laughs) can't escape it It, but it's it's really i've been i've been having a blast just kind of just getting like my my daily workout from it you know and knowing that it benefits me in real life like you know in the long run um it's good too and i i just uh, i i wasn't sure what to what to expect going in but i'm very impressed 
right like how the the tech inside like the Rincon is able to really like make use of the like, the switch's capabilities of like just detecting what you're doing and how that's reflective in the game and um yeah that's uh, that's all i really have to say about ring fit adventure it's it's i just want to say that nintendo has this <laughs> nintendo has thought. this weird knack where they try so many things and there's lots of things like labo where you just like they just i don't think that really <laughs> stuck for anyone but when mm-hmm. they hit they man do they hit just and I'm not going to go through the list of like the Wiimote and everything like that. And but even like the gyro that they kind of I don't know if they were the first to do it, but they were the first to popularize it. Now people are asking for gyro options and other, you know, other publishers controllers. And now Ring Fit is like the de facto workout game. Yeah, the, this, this shit sold so much in 2020. Like the, the Man, it, I finding it for a few months was like it was a was a, a journey. But like I, I remember seeing like sales data for this game. And how much it sold last year, it's nuts. I would have uh, bought it myself, but it's just I don't really have a good spot to like actually do it, like, which is a shame. Yeah, I, my, I, the, like, my space is like pretty small too, so I've had to like re like move some things around every time I want to get to it. Yeah, this might I be feel. sharing a little bit too much, but uh, last year I had a resolution to exercise more, and I was like, I was I was on it. This is you know 2020. I was on it until. Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition came out, and then, and then I just sunk too much time into it, and I kind of got out of habit. So an RPG took me out of my uh, my regular workout regimen. So now I need to get Ring Fit Adventure, another RPG to bring me back. Should all get on Ring Fit, dude. No, let's do it. Let's let's make this uh, yeah. thing. Every everyone on Ring Fit right now. Ca- yeah, casual. Right now is like made me go. Oh, I do. I do need to start working out. And like, if I could gamify it, but maybe, maybe I do it more. Like, it, guarantee it's a good job gamifying it. You know, <laughs> you're like <laughs> multiplayer casual mode. Where we all just do our ring trip <laughs> setups. I, I uh, really wonder if they're going to make us a sequel or some sort of follow up to make use of this ring con more. I'd, I'd love to see it. It's it's crazy. It's yeah, it'd crazy. be cool. It'd be cool for this to be like in their regular. Um, well, I don't call it stable of IPs where like they just every handful of years they do a follow-up or some sort of some sort of iteration on it where maybe it uses the same hardware, maybe the hardware is improved. It'd be cool to see it not just be a super successful one and done. Even like I also really like the mini games too. Like there's this one mini game where it's a squat mini game, but it, it has like this whole this meter of how much you uh, how like you remember like those um those carnival games where you like you have this hammer and you hit a button and then you see how far that that thing will go, how hard uh, based yeah. on how hard you hit it. This is kind of like a similar concept where, like, depending on how much you squat, there's this meter that fills up, and then you'll jump that high, uh, depending on like when you get back up from that squat. So you're you're squatting just a little bit just to fill up this meter to like avoid this obstacle, but to like, get the coins along the way. And it's like a really smart mini game. It's like it's like this isn't like crazy taxing, but it, you know it's good for you. This like this. You're switching up how how much you squat, it it, it gives you an incentive to to push a little harder. Yeah. Which, in, in terms of a workout, is actually you're gonna feel it like it, 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 it actually does this like cruel thing where like uh, let's say like you get through the stage and like you're winded and not not after every stage you have to do like this final squat pose like a like a victory pose to like complete <laughs> that. So just like just oh, one, one you were done. Just one more squat and you're done as level. It's like all right, I'm like dying, but sure. <laughs> uh, no, that is still pretty much like sold out most places. Or can you finally like just order? I think, one I think, I think it? 
Yeah, I think you can easily find one now these days. I think they have. Uh, obviously, I can't say for sure. Someone else bought it for. Right. Uh, I think I think it's well stocked now. I think. Well, I mean, that was one of our um, that was one of our highest like highlighted games for game of the RPG of the year 2019. But we never really talked about it. A because we weren't really doing the podcast back then. But B because the person who talks to basically elevated it there was Alex Donaldson, who doesn't really show up in the podcast very often. So it was cool to have it have a presence on one of our podcasts. So thanks for suffering for our sake. Happy to, man. It's a, it's a cool game. All right. So I have only two games to really talk about. And one of them I'm going to keep pretty brief. Uh, last week, I talked about how I was starting out 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim and my general impressions on that style of game, about this specific game and everything like that. So I did finish it. And this is going to sound like I'm just avoiding talking about it. But now I kind of see why it's so difficult to talk about. And not because part of it is because you don't want to like spoil it. But even if, even if you were in a room where n- you knew no one could care less about spoilers of any, of any sort, it's still so difficult to talk about because the story is presented in such a unique way. And if, if I'm at the 15 hour mark and you're at the 15 hour mark, we might've seen things completely differently. Or we, one of us might've, like not only may we have been exposed to different parts of what's been revealed, but just depending on your, I don't know, your intelligence, your IQ, <laughs> or maybe just your intuition, uh, what you've been able to put together or whether or not you have a hypothesis that's on the mark or way off the mark. So the game is effectively a mystery to put it. I think that's kind of underselling it, but it's the only way to really compartmentalize it into a single word. Um, yeah. So you end up having bits of information teased to you and then certain things are not going to make sense or you're, you're you have information that's withheld so you don't have the full picture and you have to kind of say like well if i want this to make sense i'm going to fill in the gaps with this hypothesis and maybe you're close or maybe you're way off and then eventually you'll play through another character because obviously this game has 13 different protagonists which with their own um not only their own perspective of the story but you you'll learn like oh this this character's events mostly take place all completely before this other character and you you might not know that right away but eventually it comes into focus where you start to have to like assemble a timeline in your head now eventually the game does give you a timeline in the game too so it does kind of give you a little bit of a, a hand there a little bit of assistance um and then you, you start to put it together and it starts to make sense and things that made no things that were absolutely not clear start early out end up becoming almost like obvious and that's, I guess, the source of a good mist. Uh, not the source. That ends, that ends up becoming like a highlight of a good mystery novel or a good mystery game where something is revealed and it makes perfect sense. Like, oh, it doesn't feel like that's out of left field, or this, or this is something that they had to re- rely on just to just to put the pieces together. But this game ends up, in most cases, not in every case, but in most cases, ends up making complete sense i do think there are some very specific areas where a character ends up at a place that i don't think lines up perfectly but it ends up being those sorts of things where people look for like quote-unquote plot holes in movies and they digest it in a way where they nitpick to an extent unless you unless you're treating this thing like instead of treating it like a movie you treat it like a a series of dialogues or you you want to put it on a timeline and you find one little inconsistency that's ends up being like so in, so 
unimportant that you end up becoming just like you end up treating it like something that it isn't like you, you can't just you, you can't just you, you extrapolate is that you you exaggerate and extrapolate it the, that one tiny thing so it becomes the world to you right and there are certain and this game luckily in some places certain events are allowed to take place off screen like you'll you'll see one character's story involve a certain other character that uh and where something happens in the passive sense where something happens for instance to nenji uh from uh megumi so you see like a common event in their two stories and then when you play through megumi's story that event is kind of like sidestepped like it's like okay you've already seen what happens here we don't need to show it again it doesn't need to be that overt so I do think that's smart because then when there is something that is not like, how did this character go from this place to this place? I've never, I never literally walked through that screen or, or, or saw those events. You can kind of just, okay, it could happen off screen here and nothing and no logic is lost. It's, it doesn't, there's nothing that really, con- just because it wasn't in your face doesn't mean it contradicted anything. So I think that actually is kind of smart. I love the, sh- the internal struggle for you to like find ways to like phrase it, to, 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 to sidestep. Things that are happening right now, and like and like phrasing it away so it sidesteps, you know what's actually going on. Here's like, uh, like this is a game. This is a game that like is the is the hardest, hardest, hardest game to talk about when someone is actually playing it or when you're playing it. But it becomes so much. It's so much easier to talk about it once you know everyone in the room has finished it. For it yeah, reminds because, me most. Go ahead, James. Because the thing is, is that even like you said, even if people in the room fine with spoilers like every little thing it's like oh if you want to talk about something in the middle of the game well you still you need to know the context from earlier in the game for that to even make any sort of sense it's just what it reminds me most about. of is uh the conversations not to the same extent but it reminds me of the conversations around near automata and i might have used that comparison last week but it's like just especially true this week now that i've finished i I hate to keep bringing it up, but that's kind of a similar way I feel about Labyrinth of Galleria, which is why it's so hard for me. Like, I still want to write something about it, but it's just the same problem where it's like... I will say, though, that I I was a little bit more negative on my first time I talked about this, so I don't want to, like, dig that up just to to bury it again. Um, I still feel the same way about, like, I don't like games that are so reliant on intrigue uh though obviously that's kind of the point of the game so it's i don't want to hold it against the product but i do think that there are some revelations late in aegis rim that kind of lessen the impact of earlier ones i kind of feel like it maybe took one one twist too far and that's i know anyone who's played it knows what i'm talking about or I, I i would hope they know and they might feel differently but I just feel like there are some revelations around the 60% mark, 70% mark, uh, which is nebulous because that's going to be dependent on which order you play the stories. But around that mark, about 20 hours in, I was feeling really good about, aha, this makes sense. The systems, the way that this world works, the way that the story is put together clicks. And then like I feel like after that point, it kind of undid itself just a little bit, just right before the right before the very end, where I just feel like, uh, that feels a bit contrived. I'm not sure that that landed quite as strongly for me, but that's a nitpick. Like, obviously, I still yeah. had that experience at the halfway point where certain that at that point, I was like, I really like the ideas that were presented and how they're revealed. And just because 
the the ones that came after that weren't as strong. I don't want to like take away from those center ones. But okay. yeah, I, I feel you because sci-fi at time like sci-fi is inherently messy and, and like and then when you have a cauldron of it, it, it does yeah, I like to see where you're coming from. My question to you, Brian, this is a big one. If you could go back to the game of the year discussion, I don't remember what you voted for. I feel like you voted for Final Fantasy. Would you vote Final Fantasy still? Uh hmm. This <laughs> no, here's the thing. Yeah. Here's the thing. First of all, I want to say this should have been a slam dunk for best storytelling. Like we 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 hemmed and hawed on that for an hour. And this like now that I've played this, like this this should have won in like 20 minutes or less. Yes. So if anyone didn't listen to that, basically our first category was best writing and storytelling. And we deliberated a ton between Final Fantasy VII Remake and Aegis Rim. And eventually did give it to Aegis Rim, but it James had to, have to fight really hard for that to get there, though. <laughs> and now yeah. it's just even if I feel like there are certain aspects that didn't click for me, just the the framework, the design, the intent, even if the execution wasn't a hundred percent, just everything else around it, it, it should have been a slam dunk. Now, as for the final um, game of the year, RPG of the year. It's hard to say, mainly because my game of the year was Neo Two, which was kind of like booted out of the content, out of the running as soon as we like sneaked it into the top five. So I kind of wasn't like gung ho about any of the final like three or four choices. Uh, Yakuza, well, Yakuza was also in the top five, but like it had some pretty obvious flaws that were like every game has flaws, but it had they had some that I think were overt enough that it wasn't really in the running to be in the top three or two. I still think I would have picked Final Fantasy VII Remake, but just remember that I wasn't... Like, at that point, I'm kind of picking, like, all right, which of these games is my third or fourth favorite? <laughs> like, I wasn't picking yeah. my favorite. Yeah, 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 yeah. It, was, it was one of those things that's like, these were my first two anyway, so I'm just like, well... There's uh, <laughs> definitely some years. It's like, yeah. My personal taste is just that I have more affinity for games that uh, require skill-based gameplay, um that have more systems that allow the story to take a back seat that allow me just to interact with either combat or some other sort of primary gameplay system that's not re- revolving around exposition which is the opposite of what Age's Rim is and I'm not saying that that's right or wrong it's just my preference so that's why I can't say immediately that I would have picked Age's Rim over you follow my uh, where my friend uh, a friend of mine uh who recently played uh, through all of it was like is like he wished there was a there was a game where it was like a, a lot of it was Aegis Rim's battle system because he genuinely enjoyed the battle system, but it was like he wished it was more fleshed out. He wants a game that has that battle system, but like a way more fleshed out version of it. If there was a version of Aegis Rim, and this this might sound ludicrous, but I'll just spurt it out and then you can yell at me. If there was a version <laughs> of this game that had like the same artwork applied to an isometric grid based or maybe not necessarily grid based but like an isometric um even if even if most of the systems were kind of left intact i just think the presentation of that gameplay systems in the battle modes even if this is just super superfluous and just it just don't change any of how it works but just how it looks because some of the animations where if you go into this the menus and you look at like what is the the homing missile what is the emp blast and if, if those were implemented somehow into like animating the uh, the tactical battle systems, 
I think I would have been like a lot more positive on it. Just mm-hmm. the, it's, it's almost like boiled down to like literally the core numbers and nuts and bolts. And that's kind of what Aegis Rim feels like where it just, it's just distilled. That's the word it's distilled down just to what is necessary for a tactical system. And I kind of just wish it had a little bit more flavor to it. I guess I'll put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> And it's it's one of those things like I didn't know why they did it until like I fired off like two missile rains in, in the game, and then when there like a lot of enemies showed up, and my PS4 Pro went to like nine FPS, I'm like, oh, that's why, that's why they did it because <laughs> like this, this game would die if if they tried to do more. <laughs> I remember first feeling that way in one of the earlier missions you fight basically. So obviously this game, one of the core story and gameplay elements is that of Sentinels, basically you know bipedal robots. Gundams, whatever you want to call them. And then you fight enemy versions of these called gladiators, but they're just like a slightly bigger icon on the map. Like, what is this? And you hover over it, and the tooltip says, like, this is a gladiator, you dumbass. I'm like, oh, I guess that's what it is. <laughs> but it just wasn't. Uh, and that's at the point where I'm like, man, I wish this was just represented or more fully realized in like using the using the beautiful vanillaware art. I would have really think that was cool, but I understand why they didn't. But yeah, that's my thoughts on 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim. It definitely would have made my top 10. I don't want to place it because I kind of, when I wrote my top 10, I say that for me, hey, it's, it's always what you played so far, you know, it's not, it's not, it's not like, it's not like something that's like, oh, it's retroactive. Like this is the, the, like, hey, this is what I had time to play. This is what I liked from the time I, <laughs> from the games I had time to play. Yeah. And I always treat my top 10 as very transient. Like even even in a series, if you ask me today what my favorite three whatever Final Fantasy games are, and then you ask me next month, it'll probably be in a different order. <laughs> so um, the other game that I played ties into the feature that I wrote. So I wrote a feature, pretty short, um, just a, a thousand words or so about how I played the most recent update to Fallout 76, and I was left underwhelmed, or maybe just whelmed. Just I just felt yeah. like it. It, it just felt very bland and I, I wasn't feeling, I wasn't compelled. I just felt like I was going through the motions and I, I love the fallout series. And I think, I do think it's, it's got, it's got a compelling world with interesting characters and cool stories. And I wanted more of it. My, so my, my, my feature was basically, I want more fallout, but I don't think I'm going to get anything else until, until the space opens up for the studios that have their hands in that IP can can address it because they're all Bethesda's hands are tied, Obsidian's hands are tied, Inexile's hands are tied, and then like the next day or the day after, I learned that there was this um, fan mod project for Fallout New Vegas called Fallout The Frontier, and it literally released yesterday. So I've had I've played a few of these like total conversion type mods in the past, and we even covered them on the website. Uh, one of them was Enderall, which is from the team over at Sure AI, which I think is a pinnacle of its class. Everyone should play Enderall. It's better than Skyrim, um, which you might think is a low bar, but it's it's a really what? fantastic RPG. But then I also played Fallout New California a couple years ago, which I thought was fine. It was it was okay. So here I'm playing Fallout The Frontier. It just released on Nexus Mods, and it's releasing on Steam at some point next week or this weekend. And I put a few hours into it, and it's hard to say like how I feel about it because I've only played it for one evening. 
but I will say that my first impressions were really strong in terms of just the attention to detail that this team has done and what they've what they've done with this rickety old engine <laughs> that they've taped up and slathered a bunch of glue on to try to hold it together and try to extend its capabilities. So you load in and it's it's basically treated like a DLC to Fallout New Vegas, and, but instead of going to the Sierra Madre Hotel or the uh, Honest Hearts where you go into, I believe, Utah, you just go to uh, Oregon. You you go to Portland and the game has this whole new map with tons of quests and like 50 different locations on the map with different like sorts of dungeons and stories and quests. And just the fact that the scope is that big from the get-go is insane. This was a fan project made in people's free times over the last like seven years and you you walk into this base and you've got like these vertebrates the the series like helicopters taking off and landing and dropping off troops and then you you pull up the radio and it's got this unique uh this you know obviously semi-amateur semi-pro i don't know what the more correct word would be uh people doing this voice voice work for uh what's the going on and giving you background and world building and lore for this area and even like even like custom original music where people are singing about the frontier that I'm 99% sure is like made for this mod. Cause otherwise I don't know how they get away with it. It's just like the attention to detail is insane and what they've done that they didn't have to do. Cause one of my, one of my hangups with new California, when I played that in 2019, I believe was whenever you went off the main story path, it felt very empty and deserted you'd go into buildings and be nothing to pick up nothing to look at you'd go if it wasn't if it wasn't involved in a quest it was literally just an empty husk of a building with nothing there to see and then here you go into a random room and you might find a a holotape or notes or even like i go into this abandoned hotel and there's this there's this character there i forget her name and she has some dialogue she's not involved in any quest but she's just there to occupy the space and fill the land and give it life and just that is where i think that this game has so far blown new california away the, the, it's hard to judge these mods though because the, the they're continuously updated so the new california mod of 2021 might be in a way better place than the one of 2019 and then unfortunately my uh my second like my, i said my first impression was really good and then my second impression like as i keep playing it i went through the story and it started having a few hiccups so the first major quest of this mod kind of treats it more like a first-person shooter and less of an RPG. It's like it's trying to jam Call of Duty-style philosophy into uh, into a Fallout game. So you, you're basically following the squad, and you've got a commander, and you've got your allies, and you have to like escort a tank, and people are firing missiles at you. And it just... It feels very like combat heavy, and I think that can work in a Fallout game in spurts. But these are—I like these games to be RPGs first and foremost, which is part of the reason I think Fallout seventy six really kind of like was flat for most people when it launched because it's just trying to take a different route, which I think people kind of come around to. But in this mod, and then you have this part in the story where your main character, which you you still play as the character from Fallout New Vegas. It's supposed to be the same person uh, going and doing like a new adventure sort of thing, kind of like a guidance chapter or whatever. And then your character gets captured. The courier gets captured. So you end up occupying the body of another character, this, this character called Hard Case. It's kind of like a call sign. And I just felt like I could not have been less enthused to play as someone else in the game where it's all about creating your character and role-playing. I mean, these ser- this series 
at its best is kind of like the true essence of what an RPG is. You might see some people and you see this cynically like on our Twitter account sometimes that, oh, Final Fantasy VII Remake isn't an RPG because you don't make any meaningful choices or things like that. Or And then Fallout 76 isn't a true RPG because it's more of a survival game. And then here, it's treating it more like a Call of Duty game where I'm playing as now this voiced character that was written for this mod trying to save my character it could not have fell it could not have fallen more flat for me the first story quest of this of this mod is terrible i'll just put it that way it's not good it is bizarre to me like to hear stuff of this because in my in my world of the the poor console crowd (laughs) don't exist so like like hearing when i said oh my god like that that that," when i said it i was like that sounds sarcastic but genuinely i i don't know how people keep up with it because on my side of it i hear so many stories of like hey this game's getting a mod that reworks it completely like oh here's kingdom hearts 2 and unreal engine 4 or whatever and i hear so many times about it that like when it actually comes to fruition it's an actual like tangible thing it it just goes straight over my head yeah it's i don't want to be too critical of it even though like I still want to share my opinion honestly, because this was a fan work made in people's free times over the last seven years, which we can kind of feel a little bit us generating this podcast or most of the stuff for our website, only to a much greater extent. So I don't want to just say like, oh, this was shit. And then like, I don't know. I feel like I obviously I give them a lot more leeway and I can sort of see like what the intent was for like why they why they designed this quest the way they did. Cause obviously they they saw these story beats or these things work in other games and they wanted to have their own crack at it. And so it's maybe it's not as faithful to what most other Fallout games are, but it doesn't have to be at this point because it's not an official product. I Luckily, though, once I played through this story, this story level, almost like this, like literally this game is divided into chapters. And once I got through chapter one and into chapter two, I basically told myself, okay, I'm not going to play the main story. I'm just going to play this like I do most games like this style and just explore. I'm just going to pick a direction and go and just wander. And thankfully, luckily, that sour taste from this weird mission started to go away because I started encountering cool locations. I met a couple companions. One of them I hired. One of them I did a quest for. and They joined me. They have their own little, they have their own voice acting and they have their own stories. Um, and obviously, being a semi-professional, semi-amateur work, not all the voice acting is good, but most of it's good, which I think is still kind of a credit to the, what they've done here. I basically that's that's how I, that's how most people I think play Skyrim, anyways, is that they just explore the map and they leave the story behind because it's more compelling to see like how the world is fit. Like the world itself is almost the main character. How like who lives where, who thinks what about what other faction, or what is the history of this place. Um, and then that's the sort of things that I'm still getting in spades in this the Frontier mod. So it's got this whole new map in Portland, Oregon. Unlike New California, there's a lot to see everywhere. And if I'm off the beaten path, it doesn't matter because there's still stuff to see and things to do. And the quest design is a bit better. Like there, there, was, this, there was an early quest that actually... Um, one thing that I think is unheralded for Bethesda's engines is the fact that the objects in the world have interactivity and permanence. Like you can, you can go into a bathroom and pick up a toothbrush and then walk it out and take it and throw it in the sink, you know, things like that. And like the the fact it's such, it's so mundane, but then uh, there's this quest where this doctor is asking you to hand him items off of the uh, medical table 
while he while he does surgery. And yeah, that that's not that's not something unique. But they're like, hey, we can do this in this game's engine. Why not? So instead of a quest that's combat or a quest that's dialogue, it's literally hand me the scalpel and you go over to the table and you got to physically look for it and pick it up and walk it back over to him. And it's just stuff like that, I think, is so cool. And then on top of the, the radio thing that I mentioned and the, the fact that they have helicopters taking off and landing and dropping off people, the game, the mod is, it's it's impressive what they put together, even if obviously I don't think it always, it, it kind of goes out of its lane in a major way in the very first like story chapter. So it's it's always kind of cool to to think about games a little bit differently when this is something that's an amateur product made for fun made made purely out of passion it's also yeah. cool that like uh like it explores ways uh like explores territories that like make you like dislike it in a sense that like oh okay now i can like the distinctly tell like what i like and like about the genre or the series like it did something that like that went out of the way for the series that like now i can like really identify and put into form like why uh, i see it I dislike it. I can put into words why I dislike it. I will also say that as someone who just recently played through Fallout's one and two, which was part of my feature about like stuff, I'm I'm slowly kind of reflecting on my on my my self reflection about what I enjoy about why 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 do I have such a high affinity for this series, um, and this game basically has fan service in spades, especially for even Fallout's one and two, which I think most people playing this probably haven't played. It, it, it reintroduces characters like Marcus. They don't show up in the mod, but they're referenced several times. There's a type of creature that's very unique to Fallout 2. Paul has a weird name called a Wanamingo. You meet them in like the sewers of an abandoned town, and it never really explains what they are. It kind of hints, at least I don't think it does. It hints that they're like aliens, but they might just be mutations, and they don't show up in any Bethesda Fallout game. But then they decided to make 3d models of them 3d animations and put them in this mod and just like that's crazy and like someone who hasn't played fallout 2 is just going to think like wow this is a cool unique creature or maybe they've heard about it but the fact that they're like you know what people are going to have memories of these things and how 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 bastardly annoying they were to fight in these games so we're going to bring them (laughs) back just 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 for fun and so they brought them back and then there's other characters where they um they reference the events of the original two games and then they they reference the events of Fallout 3. It almost feels a little bit like because this is a fan product and you can kind of tell that the writing is a step down that they're maybe too reliant on references, but hey, if it's made out of love for the series, it's hard to really fault them for throwing these in. It's one of those things where if this was if this was Fallout 5 making references, I would be like, "Man, I can't believe they're just going to the well and they're just kind of being like you remember this right that was cool and they're not really providing anything original where this game it might lean a little bit too far i i can't really blame them for it it's made out of made out of fans for fans and the fact that they didn't ignore those i think is just really a treat this is this isn't just someone that said i like new vegas i want more new vegas this is someone that said i loved everything about this series i'm gonna i'm gonna pepper it with a little bit of everything but yeah, this is Fallout the Frontier. It was cool just to figure out a just the modding process, uh, and b just to just to explore something that was m- maybe a little bit off- under the radar and made by fans. So that's I'll cool. probably I'll probably finish it up and maybe I, I maybe I'll talk about like s- hopefully I uh, 
continue with positive feelings as they go through. Kind of had that weird hurdle that it crashed into <laughs> in chapter one, but it still has done a lot of things that have been super impressive. All right. So now we've talked about the two uh, features that we put up in the last week, the James's Final Fantasy feature and my Fallout feature. So it's on to topics. It's on to news. Uh, and as January starts ramping up, we've ramped up a little bit and we've got a little bit more things to talk about. And here's one that we've kind of alluded to when it talked about uh, this year and how it might feel with COVID and also about cyberpunk. We got a... Uh, a roadmap slash apology video from CD Projekt Red about the state of Cyberpunk 20, 2077 and what's in store for uh, this year in 2021. So what do we want to talk about first, the uh, roadmap or the apology? Oh, boy. They, they, they labeled this as the, the commitment to quality. The, yeah, I don't even know if you can decouple these things. Well, <laughs> yeah. Because the this is a uh, okay. So this was a uh, uh, this video uh, had uh, Marcin Lewinsky, uh, co-founder of CD Projekt Red, uh, come out and like basically half for uh, consumers, half for investors, of like trying to uh, give um, his take on the whole situation of uh, what went down with uh, Cyberpunk uh, tw- twenty seventy seven. I guess we should. Uh, it only makes sense to start with the quote-unquote apology first right i do think Um, first of all i do think that this is a legitimate apology he does take the blame and it says to direct it to him and the board i don't think it's necessarily a good one but there's certain apology videos where they don't even meet the bar of being an apology i think this is an apology it meets that sorry to butt in but i think that um if we're going to be talking about this apology video we should probably do it in the context of what just happened between jason fryer and the Okay, let's step, of, step by step. We can't we can't be throwing everything out at once because it'll just be an internal mess. Let's go. Let's start with this apology video first. Apology roadmap, and then we'll get to those later. So I, I do agree with you, Brian, that there is, uh, from personally for him, what he thinks that he feels that he's doing a genuine apology. I don't think the way he phrased it uh, lands all that well. Um, so like uh, because. At some point in the video, he does say that internal testing did not show many of the issues experienced by players post-launch visits. Ah. That's 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 bullshit, dude. That that's throwing your your QA team under the bus. And I am sure many QA testers for that game uh, have reported again and again and again and again that hey, these this is what's happening with the, not only the PC version, but Obviously, the older generation consoles of like this is not running well, and obviously this is uh, this is reflected in the delays they did up to three weeks before launch. They had pushed it back three weeks. Like this happens all the time in QA testing of like issues will get brought up, and depending on the you know the resources, the scheduling, and whatnot, sometimes fixes won't be there, and they'll just patch it down the road. They'll, they'll acknowledge them, and then they'll. they'll They'll put it on like a, a log of like what's most important, what's priority, what needs to be ironed out first, and whatnot. I, I am more than a hundred percent sure what people experienced at day one. They knew for months. I also and like I, how he felt um, obligated to mention that the PC reviews were good, but isn't that kind of like patting yourself on the back when those were the only ones they made available before launch? 
I just felt like I felt really cynical that they had to even like, even though we had this one good piece of news, like, like I felt like that, I don't know. They shouldn't have included that at all. Like that feels like that's beside the point. You're just, you're just trying to congratulate yourself for something that you engineered. Yeah. It's a, it's, it's, it's a very non-committal apology in in my eyes because it, it feels, it just feels bad that like, I don't know why you had to like throw your QA t- testers under the bus too. It's like, oh, we didn't know. Huh, weird. It's like, come on, come on. No one's. I feel like it'd be better as an apology if that bit. I, I know, I know it's easy to say, oh, just drop and change this would be better. You could say, oh, if it had a different script, it'd be better. But I think that bit specifically, people have latched onto is like, yeah, that's a shit move. Uh, um, <laughs> so I'm going to bring up uh, what just happened today. So last night, Jason Trier finally put up his article about like what went wrong with. Cyberpunk 2077. People were expecting this. Uh, it's what Jason Trier does. He just he is attracted to these train wrecks of games and what went wrong behind the scenes. It's just it's like his lifeblood. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, like him or dislike him. This is something he's good at. Yeah, he's he's good at like you know getting behind the scenes. We'd have to over exaggerate, you know, what his aspirations are or whatnot. But like, like Trier has had, had a track record both at Kotaku recent uh, previously and now at Bloomberg. He's working there now of like just you know. They're, they're like a like with Anthem's launch, for example, and what the problems were that like that during development. Um, just to, he's very good at getting behind the scenes because he has uh, connections uh, with people of like you know getting the story of like what went down uh, plainly. Yeah, I wouldn't say that anything in his article was necessarily shocking or even new. Like I think the big thing that stood out to me was like the one claim that it's like yeah you don't have to work crunch, but if you don't work crunch, somebody else will which was really disgusting. Uh, I think the more um, interesting or shocking thing about it is that, so he reached out to CD Projekt Red, like the company itself, and actually wanted, basically gave them an opportunity to respond to some of the allegations that he had heard both anonymously and not anonymously from 20 different employees. And they didn't respond to him. So his article goes up, and now just about, an hour ago, Adam Badowski, the head of CD Projekt Red, finally responds to some of the stuff in the articles. It's, I'm not even going to bother to dignify his response with reading it because it's bullshit. But basically, he's trying to shit on Jason's article, even though he had the opportunity to respond to some of the stuff in the article, but decided not to. And now he's just publicly responding to it. it it's just... It's just gross. Oh, like we're we're covering news. We're not we're like you know we're we're here to like let people know like what went down. We're not we're so okay. Let, let let's break it down like uh, like significant stuff that the uh, Schreier reported on. Um, some of what uh, one of the points made uh in that uh piece that he put up for the Cyberpunk about what happened was you know the the behind the scenes E three demo um for that game was basically fabricated. Um, you know. There, there was like a build of the game that they were working on that, you know, specifically for that demo and a lot of that content never made it into the final game or like, like the, the, the I believe like they mentioned the police ambushes and whatnot, like that wasn't in the final game even though that was in the demo. And they felt like, you know, during development that they were wasting time making that content for that specific demo when they could have used that time for the specific game. Like, you know, general game development stuff like that, that it's not great, like, you know, but they're E three demos builds do happen. The, the in the past, other teams, other games, uh, you know, make 
content for the game specifically for an E3 demo that may or may not be indicative of like what will show up in the final game. So this is like a thing that's like known in the game industry. That's you know, but this is especially impactful in Cyberpunk because they were already working on a constrained schedule and whatnot for that. And you know, um, uh, Kowalski tries to like you know justify this. Uh, saying you know, I, it's a I hard- like how he also goes to the PC review scores as like a crutch, which I, uh, I just feel yeah. cynical about that. Right. Yeah, part of his response to that was you know, uh, I'll, I'll quote him in his response. Uh, um, Ask for quote unquote missing features. Part that's part of the creation process. Features come and go as we see if they work or not. Also, car ambushes exist in the final game almost verbatim as to what we showed in about them. I think people can d- disprove that. And if we get a bit more granular about our release, uh, the vision we presented in this demo evolved into something that we got multiple nine out of tens and ten out of tens on PC for many renowned gaming outlets in the world. It just it just it's such a scummy way to like phrase yeah. that. You know? like, yeah. It, Not it to mention he doesn't need like it would be one thing to cut features. Like, yeah, that happens all the time, but you gotta be transparent about that. Like so many of the features that they promised in that demo. Yeah, they mentioned some of the ones that got cut, but so much more of them, they just didn't mention it at all. It's like, if we're going to cut features, fine. But you gotta be transparent about that. Yeah. I think... The thing is, I I could not explain for the life of me why, but when I hear Cyberpunk 2077 described as a train wreck, there's still that knee-jerk reaction in me. It's like, ah, but wait, there's like... There's still some good to it. Um, I, I've said it in the past two weeks. So I believe that there is good there. There's there's merit in the game for sure. There, well, we, I, I, I wouldn't call it like a, a disaster of like like game content itself. You know, yes, performance, situation but, surrounding it. Yeah, it's getting more and more like a train wreck. <laughs> like stuff like this is just mad. Um, the roadmap, though, we'll, we'll talk about that as it's very, very, very brief. It's okay. So this year there will be a next gen update. But it's now been delayed to late 2021. Uh, free DLC is still this year, and that's about it. They've said there's some optimization and patches that will come in the year, but it looks like if you were hoping for even a glimpse at multiplayer, if you were hoping for some DLC news, like some, one of the major it DLC news, it would be wrong and irresponsible to like work, uh, like work on like multiplayer right now. Uh, yeah, so, so I, I, I want to paint a mental picture. Even though if you've seen this picture, just describe it in words. It's just in, uh, illuminating. So you've got a timeline with a space between 2021 and 2022. And imagine three-fourths of that space is just covered in a gray sticker that says multiple updates and improvements. Like, how, <laughs> <laughs> how less specific can you get? And I'm showing my bias here, I know. But for as much of a train wreck that final, uh, not final, Fallout 76 was, one thing that I will always applaud the team at Bethesda Austin for doing is that they have put out multiple roadmaps and for the large part, they've hit them and they go month by month. Like in May, you'll see this. In June, you'll see this. And every once in a while, something will slide by a month, especially in COVID. But they, they had the ambition to say, like, we will make good on, what, on, our, on the game that our name is attached to. And in many ways, and in some people's opinions, they have. And then here is basically like they're not committing to anything. It's just it's, so. It's so yeah. The, it, it describes basically nothing. The only thing you can glean from it is like, oh, next gen versions will be like later this year, not the first half. That's all you can really say about it. 
Which and, is technically a delay, right? Like I know they never dated it, but like in my head, I read that. I was like, oh, it's been delayed. I have, so, no, I have no idea if it's actually like a delay or not. I just knew it was coming sometime this year. I have no idea if, like, if they had uh, a, an ambition to get it at the first half of this year or not. I do um, sympathize with George, though, because like we mentioned this the last time we talked about Cyberpunk, is that you can't just... Games are not tidy things that you can just segment. This thing is good and this thing is bad. They're just, they're just messy. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think if you... I don't want to. I don't want to reconvene this whole thing. But if if Cyberpunk does something that we think is genuinely genuinely good, we should be able to talk about it. And I think we do, and we'll we will, and we have. But I also think that a lot of this is not a good look. So we should, yeah. and that's just us being true to our, you know, being honest with ourselves. Do I think they they will make this game better? Yes, I. They, they've got that track record with Witcher Three. But I do think that there is this level of kind of there's this level of defensiveness that they're showing, and the fact that they keep going back to the review scores and they're nitpicking specific things about like you only talk to twenty people, but we have five hundred people. What do the other four hundred and eighty say? It's like yeah, that's that's part of Kabowski's response uh, for for context. Uh, that was and it just it just it's just amazing that you know after Iwinski came out and tried to do like uh, quote unquote somewhat. The honest apology let's say like just what one or two days later here comes Kabasi. like this fucking didn't mean shit yeah like <laughs> even though you could pick apart marcin's apology video and say like i can't believe you threw your QA under the bus or and you can you can you can criticize that genuinely you can see that the intent there was to kind of lower the temperature in the room and then Badowski uh, is doing the opposite, where he's he's playing right. really defensively. And I think, you know, obviously some people are on his side. Some people uh, look at his argument and they agree with him. And I think that's because it's not the fact that one person is 100% right and one person is 100% wrong. You could make it as simple as an argument as Jason versus Adam or, or whatever. But... There's, there's people have their own confirmation or their own biases that they like to have confirmed or they have their own impression about what you know is this typical of game studios you you see you see some what about ism thrown out like how can we don't go to this extent when talking about the crunch at sony santa monica or whatever and maybe, maybe that's a genuine question like what what has gone under the radar just because it never got into the spotlight in the same way it never made the sort of loud crashing noise that cyberpunk 2077 made so other studios or other projects have had similar faults but weren't quite as heavily criticized because they never made it to the spotlight. And that's maybe that's a, maybe that's a genuine question. Like how, how do we treat, how do we criticize all of these things fairly? And I don't think there's an easy answer to that. What we do know is they still have no idea how to get back up onto Sony's PSN store. They still have no <laughs> idea how to get, what it's going to take. Bad. I thought that'd be like a, a couple of days and maybe, okay. Yeah. Okay. We'll bring it back. But like, it's not coming back until it's fixed, and that is... You see some of the crap that goes off on PSN. Like I think they messed up when they basically told people, oh yeah, you can totally get refunds without talking to Sony and Microsoft. Yeah. So, I mean, they definitely pissed off Sony because, well, yeah, like they expected the game to work on PlayStation 4 too. Think about <laughs> and then the whole, like... Oh, Sony got... Yeah. After that message, it's like, oh, well, CD Projekt said uh, I'm okay to go, so I'll just call up Sony. And they're like, what the fuck? Uh, <laughs> it's, it's crazy to me. 
I think the bigger picture for me is the goodwill of CD Projekt Red doesn't exist anymore. Like I, I, I refuse to believe if they tomorrow they announce The Witcher Four, Geralt's back and he's better than ever, and his hair grows even longer, and it's like ten times the game Witcher Three was. They still, it's it would not be seen as yeah, go CD Projekt Red. Everyone is now going to be on their nah, ass. I, I think most people even people maybe listening to this, they, they would just be as hyped as that because I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like people have short memories and I'm not, yeah, not necessarily, sure I'm not, that. I'm not saying that's necessarily good or bad, but it's hard to judge volume well, well, versus we're, number. We're talking, we're talking about such a, a subset of like the overall fan base, you know, like people are like are loud on the internet, but that doesn't, isn't necessarily indicative of like the overall player base, like overall cyberpunk 2077 player base like there are people still playing this game on ps4 and xbox one and they're having a blast and because they're willing to put up with that because like they just wanted this game and they're like they're totally fine with like what they get like i Uh, I, I, 2077 is still the ninth most game being played on steam right now yeah i I highly doubt that like the overall like player base of that game that like really cares about what's going on cd project red right now like they're like Okay, whatever's happening is happening. I can play my game. You know, that's that's what it is. I just hope that's a, that's a lot yeah. of gaming issues. Period. Like people I will think... be loud on the media. People will be loud on the internet. But that's not like, but that's not indicative or representative of like what the overall player base thinks. Unfortunately, I think it's the sort of thing where it's multiplicative and not additive. Where if they had come out with this apology, which you could again criticize however you feel it deserves it. But then they also had a better roadmap. Maybe tempers wouldn't have been so hot. If, if, they, had a, if they had a detailed plan and said, uh, our, our scope is that in March, we're going to address this issue that people have spotted. And in May, we're going to look at this. And in July, we're going to look at this. And then in August, you'll see our next gen patch. If there was something that showed that level of commitment, but right now it's more words. It's just like we promise it'll be better. Just trust us. Just trust us. Just trust us. And it's like, well, okay, but but we trusted you back in December, <laughs> and you've shown us that maybe that was a bad idea. <laughs> they're, they're they're going the dude trust me route. <laughs> so I'm yeah. I'm glad that George did bring it up because like this game does do some things well, and you might argue you might have the opinion that it does many things very well. And that's valid, but I just feel like this... it's okay to enjoy the game and like the game. It, I, I'm perfectly fine with that. You mm-hmm. know, there's there's nothing wrong about genuinely enjoying and liking the game. Like if if I if we could turn back time and say, okay, no game of the year podcast talk, we will talk about Cyberpunk just because why not? It, I I would have made a case for it in some categories. I I did really enjoy my time with it, but then I hear stuff like this, and I see the situation surrounding it, and I'm like, almost embarrassed to be like so positive about it. Which is stupid, I know, because it, it's a subjective art critique thing. But where whereas with The Last of Us, when I heard some of the stuff happening there and saw other people's reactions, that almost made me want to fight for it more. Not not the crunch stuff. Other hatred and abuse that it got. Wow, there's loads for every game, isn't there? <laughs> well, that, that's that's an interesting dynamic because that's a similar story about crunch and overworked workers and underpaid workers and lots lots of similar beats. But the game was received a lot better. Yeah, 
So does that does that soften the blow? And I think it does, whether that's right or wrong. Like, well, at least the game turned at least at least it was worth it, right? Because the game was so highly received and outside of a small sector of people. Where here it's where here you kind of can't say even it was worth it. Like with The Last of Us, I I won't go into the whole thing on The Last of Us, but especially with part two, one of the whole themes of that is was it worth it? Is it worth it? Uh, and sometimes it isn't, I guess. It'll be interesting to see what this sort of uh, what comes out of this uh, Badowski response. So when's the first yeah. time we will actually see something tangible? I guess, <laughs> again, going back to the roadmap, about, let me take out my ruler, about a third of the way, a fourth of the way into this gray <laughs> sticker. Are, 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 it says, the patches or like, or what? What what are you expecting? Uh, let's say, like, well, what do you mean by what the first real thing? Well, well uh, for me, what, what's weird is that if you said to me, okay, you can revise Cyberpunk however you want, list list ten things you don't like about it. The issues I have with it, besides all the crashing, which I've moaned about enough, a lot of my issues are just like I don't think they can be fixed. I, I think some things like the police system, I can't see them just being like, okay, well, the police work now. I, I just think they don't suit the game. I don't think they work with the game. Uh, I, I think, as Brian said last week, you can't cut and change stuff. I think some things are just the game, and that's that. Yeah, I, and I, I mentioned how, like... Tweak it a bit. You can point out all these places where the scope was narrowed, the scope was narrowed, the scope was narrowed, and first it was uh, life paths, and then it was... Uh role models and other things and you can't just say like well now we're going to now we're going to broaden the scope well i guess maybe you can with dlc but that's not really it's not a fixable thing it's something where it's like at some point these we had to narrow the scope and this this is the game that resulted and sure we can make it run better and and have fewer you know objective issues like crashes and bugs and misbehaving ai or or whatever but the scope is the scope (laughs) like that's where they ended up and like you said certain things are not fixable in that sense but yeah to answer josh's question i guess i don't know because we don't really know the scope of patch 1.1 is patch 1.1 just a large hotfix patch and i remember with witcher 2 they overhauled the beginning of that game there was a there was a a patch or update to it many months later after the initial launch of that game that reworked the entire beginning of witcher 2 i forgot about that because i played witcher 2 like pretty late so i think i was i played it once everything had already been in place so yeah who knows who knows i mean that i i'm sure this is the this is gonna be an ongoing thing this year for the cd project red whether we all want it to be or not they'll always be in the spotlight when when things go down which seems to be like a weekly occurrence now yeah, we'll be talking about this next week. I guarantee yeah. it, it. Something will happen. Yeah, like Jason's going to reply, and uh-huh, so and then the the, the news headlines will be a slap fight between Jason and or whoever and CD Project. So you know, we'll see what patch one point one and one point two has uh, about uh, mm-hmm. a nebulous fifth of the way through the year before the nebulous multiple update improvement phase starting in March ish. <laughs> Who knows? What does the rumor say? <laughs> yeah, expect free DLC about a quarter of the way into that phase, I suppose. Uh, I'll, I'll fire up Photoshop and get my guidelines <laughs> out. Alrighty. Moving on. On the more uh, on a more palatable uh, news front from earlier this week, we got some trademarks filed from Square Enix, including Ever Crisis, 
and the first soldier. So these are things that were first spotted. I don't know, first spotted, but uh, were first reported on in our in our field of view by Agamatsu. And obviously, these are phrases that seemingly tie very strongly into Final Fantasy VII and likely Final Fantasy VII Remake, which obviously we know that they're going to follow up on uh, because this is going to be a series of games that retell the story of Final Fantasy VII. So whether or not Ever Crisis and The First Soldier are side projects or they are subtitles, that's all speculation at this point. Yeah, beyond so, that, it's all speculation and that ever crisis like you know could very well be the i'm of two minds of this one it's definitely part of the compilation of ff7 thing because of the naming scheme but yeah. let's go to advent children as ac before crisis bc crisis, uh, core. Well, crisis core cc and then DC is service. Service. So, yeah it's a little bit of a stretch it. but it fits <laughs> And EC Ever Crisis. I think that that's it's a safe bet. This part of the compilation of FF7. Now I gotta I, say something. Ever Crisis to me sounds like a mobile game. Off only, but they already did that. Uh, that that was the one, one of these compilation FF7s was originally, originally a, fl- a flip phone game, wasn't it? Was it Crisis uh, before Crisis? Yeah, before sure. Crisis. Yeah. Now Alex Donaldson, who swims in this stuff for a living wrote up a, a basically a, a feature about these trademarks and everything that he thinks about it unfortunately and adam i know would say the same thing if he was here i am just not the speculative type like i'm the sort of person like oh that's interesting i guess i'll learn at some point when they decide to reveal whatever crisis and the first soldier are but then of course there are certain people just by, by the how much traffic this did on social where they love to speculate which unfortunately isn't me but i will try to I guess put on my speculation hat and the, the so first soldier I, I read about all this stuff and all i think of is when the hell am i going to play these games should i play them after seven should i wait uh, until i'm done with 15 it's like 15 to be honest it's so messy right now i i i i i genuinely think this ever crisis thing i know speculation is fucking dumb like i i but alex thought this could be the subtitle for the second part of ff7 remake i i think I think now that it's come out of the bag that FF7 Remake isn't really FF7 Scratch, it's kind of... It, it, I don't want to spoil it, but in some ways, it does follow up after FF7, in some ways. I, I, I think this could... Ever Crisis is like the subtitle for the remake, for the first remake now. Like It's no longer FF7 Remake, it's like FF7 Remake colon Ever Crisis, and then the next that'll be FF7 remake colon another thing. That's kind of how like kind of how like I the original Star Wars ended up getting the tagline "A New Hope." Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I, um, one thing that I think, if I were to speculate and indulge in that a little bit, the first soldier, it seems like that's likely Sephiroth. I guess spoilers, sort of <laughs> for the original game. Uh, sorry, George, uh, but. <laughs> <laughs> there are certain speculations about the remake about the role of Sephiroth and who specifically this is going to sound so stupid but this incarnation of Sephiroth in the remake who he is so and what role is he playing in like the literal interpretation of remaking the story so I, I assume the first soldier is going to tie into that somehow but I guess we don't know until we know right maybe this Thank could be more specifically uh, about no, Zach. no, no one thinks it's Zach related I, I, mean, Zach. I love Zach. He's cool. I mean, I can't say too much about. It. Let's say I can't. 
No, I, well, I, 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 I know it's to him like normally, and I know that um, what's it called? Is it Crisis Call? Is that Zach's one? That's yes. Crisis Core. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I guess like they just call it Crisis Core again, wouldn't they? Have you played Crisis Core? No, but I watched all the cutscenes online oh, uh, after birth sleep. Just, like Zach was just so cool, and I, I didn't realize what actually happens to him in Final uh, Fantasy. Is there right. anything? Is there We're anything just, more quintessentially uh, George than learning about Zach through a Kingdom Hearts prequel <laughs> and then deciding to watch the cutscenes for his spinoff game? Oh my god! I love it. I actually, I genuinely love it. <laughs> this is how, this is not how people consume media now. Okay. <laughs> Okay, Brian. They're not, they're, they're not like us who play the video games. We're old people. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but yeah. So the two, so the two trademarks are Ever Crisis and the First Soldier. They Spin-off also subtitles CG movie adaptations. Who knows? They also trademarked the the Shinra logo. <laughs> yeah, what does that mean? Like, okay, a few years back, I forgot how many years ago, but Square Enix did establish an official Shinra branch. I think that was for like cloud services, and I think I that was that. And what didn't yeah. it only live for like a year? Yeah, it was very short lived. Like that, there are there are business cards out there of people who worked for Shinra, um, and they dismantled that shortly after. But you know, I don't know. I don't fucking know, dude. That's Shinra Technologies was a Square Enix subsidiary. It was a cloud gaming company founded in 2014. On January 20, on January 6, 2016, they decided to dissolve the subsidiary. So it lasted for less yeah. than two years. <laughs> there you go. Shinra Technologies. Oh. I don't know what the fuck this means, dude. It can be anything. <laughs> I'll, I'll be really no. It's like, oh, FF7 remake sold a shitload, so we're gonna make more FF7 things. We're greenlighting FF7 things left and right. That's what it means. FF7 is here forever again. So when are we going to see uh if it's going to be truly tied to the compilation, we better see a uh, Gact. I hope so. I hope for Gact. Or, uh, sorry, uh, Genesis. I, I can't wait to finally play Final Fantasy 7 and see if what I think about it cuz it's like I, I honestly don't know if I'm going to like it as much as people do or if I'm going to think just some I'm really curious I'll, I'll put it this way I am very because of the way the Final Fantasy 7 remake turned out and its story implications that's treating it as soft as a touch as I can I'm very glad <laughs> that I played through the original before the remake and I I guess it's one of those things where I'm like hey George if you want to play it on Switch I know it's not the best version of the game but maybe consider playing Final Fantasy 7 because it seems like <sighs> they're it's treating these I, I hate to like be like so. What I'll probably and do, say, you must do this. What I'll probably do is I'll. Well, I'm not sure where I'm going to play it, but re- regardless of which version I play, I'm going to probably play the fixed translation patch because I do know the original FS7 has some weird translation idiosyncrasies. Um. Yeah, but I'm I'm torn because I, I. On one hand, it's really easy to just play on my Vita, but also. Like, I've seen the uh, things people are doing with, like, the HD upsampling for the pre-rendered, like, backgrounds. That looks really, really nice. So it's like, huh. Hmm. Well, just just 60 seconds ago, I was saying people should play the original. But now I'm kind of like, well, George enjoyed Final Fantasy VII Remake so much without having played the original. So who am I to, who am I to diagnose that he should? Well, I, did, I have tried to get into uh, Final Fantasy VII before i tried to get in final fantasy 10 before but 
I, I said it when we we were talking about like a dragon. I need more gimmicks. I need more like weird <laughs> combat twists, and then there's I'll just, be There's just it. so many ways. Meanwhile, I can play the original FF1 on NES with no problems. Yeah, <laughs> Crisis Core has a dumb weird combat gimmick of like the fucking slot machine. There's your weird combat gimmick. That would do. Yeah, remake it, please. <laughs> it's. Hmm. it's a, <laughs> I just feel like Final Fantasy VII remake in so many ways is winking at players who have played the original, but maybe that everyone has to have that experience. Maybe some people. Just here's the real start. question. Knowing that I'm the type of person that can totally play like old Jane cast games with no problem. Should I play crisis core before I play seven remake? Uh, yeah. I, I would I would say, yeah, it's, it's not, yeah. it's, it's clumsy. And I remember the second half of that game. Just, I think there's a skill called cosmic punch or something like that. That's super overpowered. And I just played through half the game, just spamming that. Uh, crisis core is actually like a, like a, like a blast to play. Like I, that's a fun game. I don't, it's, I don't think it's like great, but I think it's a fun game. It's it, there, there have been more ham fisted clunkier games. Like Dirt to Service, yeah. <laughs> Cerberus, how you oh, man. It. You, you, which I also yeah. played and remember yeah. next to nothing about <laughs> at all. I rented that and I was like, that game still has an unresolved cliffhanger, and we know they're seemingly bringing back <laughs> this compilation right. stuff. Uh, we're two I, characters. I, I, I'm ready for Dirt to Service remake, man. I'm ready. Ah. <laughs> uh. Shit. Final Fantasy VII. I feel like we're back in the mid aughts. We got all <laughs> early aughts. We're, we're getting all this stuff. Everything old is new again. That's 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 video games now. And that's it for the two major news topics. Uh, what about two two completely opposed sorts of things? Speculation on future Final Fantasy and trying to clean up in the wake of Cyberpunk. And speculation on when Cyberpunk's going to be fixed. Yeah, when when is patch one point one dropping? <laughs> who, do, who knows? In ten, uh, at the time of that notice, in ten days they said. Oh, they actually said okay. Okay, I take that back. There you go. All right, all right. So some smaller topics. We have obviously the normal gamut of trailers and release dates and footage. So let's just go in order and see uh, what what we decide to spend some time talking about and what we just kind of glance over because it's there's nothing much to really discuss. So we got a release date for the announced new Pokemon Snap, now literally called New Pokemon Snap. Mm -hmm. I, I this is unironically the game I'm most hyped for this year now. I was just going to say, I'm, I, I thought we had moved past this uh, Nintendo new naming. It's been a while since we've seen like new 3DS or new Well, this Rose. isn't Nintendo. This is the Pokemon company. It's just well, weird. I hate that naming convention. Publisher or whatever. New Gundam Breaker. Hell no. <laughs> but uh, that's the one that stinks, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Hopefully, yeah. new Pokemon Snap does not stink because it looks mm. pretty nice. It looks, a lot of people, obviously, I think their first takeaway from this is just comparing the visuals to Sword and Shield. And I think in most, maybe James can uh, talk about his opinion here, having been uh, surprisingly the most in tune with the Pokemon uh, fan base in the recent years. Uh, some people, I think, have looked at new Pokemon Snap and have been kind of down on the visuals, but then they compare it to Sword and Shield and they actually say it looks really nice for what it is. Um, I, feel like, I feel like the fidelity of the game is good, but I have noticed some people that have been complaining about the actual like 
visuals of some of the Pokemon. Like, the big one that I've seen is Tangrowth. It's like, it's supposed to be a mess of vines and all that, where if you look at its model in the new Pokemon Snap trailer, it's just a blob. Like, a formless blob. Mm -hmm. Which is a bit weird. But um, I'm excited for it, because, I mean... I didn't grow up with Nintendo 64, but I did have a Wii when I was in middle school, and I loved playing Pokemon Snap on the virtual console. So, and the thing is, is that I haven't played Pokemon Snap since it was on the N64, so I was really young. And I wonder if people's memories, including my own, have like grown beyond what the experience actually was. Like, if you boil it down, it was like this three, four-hour game without a lot of replayability. Though I do think. Speaking, trying to trying to like <laughs> dig into the the cobwebs of my brain and dig out what I liked about the original game was I enjoyed how it's it's a it's a disguised puzzle game. It's like what do you do yeah. in certain certain maps in order to get certain Pokemon to appear in certain orders to get the the rare one to appear in a certain place. And it's I that... don't have any huge expectations for this game because again, like you said, the scope for the first game on the N sixty four wasn't huge, but it's like. I'm fine with that. I'm fine with a game that's just, like, another Pokemon Snap with more Pokemon. It doesn't need to do that much new. Like, I know what it was. I know that it wasn't a huge game. Is it probably worth 60 bucks? Probably not. But I am excited to play it, and it does seem like a comforting game. It feels like a nice game to hopefully soothe over whatever is happening in 2021 (laughs) by that point. Yeah, whatever whatever the hot-button topic is the week before april 30th yeah this is uh my most outstanding memory of pokemon the original pokemon snap was professor oak was a dick he's like i took a beautiful picture i don't know talk about professor he's like "Mm, nah nah it sucks (laughs) like what the (laughs) that's what i remember about pokemon i I can already tell this is going to blow up on social media because it's going to be like that thing where it's like hey look at this great picture i took it's just going to (laughs) be Yeah, it's gonna be fucked up, and it's like it's great. (laughs) I I remember like one map for sure, though. Like maybe maybe this was just me being really young at the time, but I think I remember Moltres being like really hard. Like the what you had to do to get him to appear was really tricky, and then you finally get the good picture of him and like pumping my fist. Yeah, I remember or, or something like that. I remember, like, the three legendary birds. It was really, like, obtuse, figuring out how to even get their eggs to hatch. Like, it wasn't even so much simple as you see the egg, you do something to it. Like, you had to, like, do specific things throughout the level just so you could do the right thing. To... I, I, I hope there's a lot more stuff like that. I hope there's a lot more Pokemon and there's more areas and whatnot. Because, like, obviously you have, like, the first Pokemon Snap was just Generation 1. And now you have literally seven other generations of Pokemon to deal with here. There's a lot of potential here. I hope they utilize it. You know, you know uh, what I'm scared of? Uh, like, if I get this game, I'm scared of, like, looking around and, like, not knowing any Pokemon. And, I'll, and, and then I'll look at yeah. my camera and I'll be like, is this a Pokemon or just a trap? <laughs> <laughs> I'm actually with you because, like, I, I feel like I can name most of Pokemon through, like, the first three. And then I've just kind of fallen off. Same. I can recognize all the Pokemon, but if you ask me to try and name Pokemon past Generation 4, I'll have some issues unless they're like really, really popular Pokemon. Like, well, maybe, maybe, that's, 
maybe well, that'll be the strength of this game. It'll reintroduce us to what yeah. we've missed. It'd be really cool if like you, depending on how you I, interact with the environment through a level that you can end up in like totally different places. Like if you do X, Y, and Z at the end of level one, you see, I don't know, Articuno. And then if one you, thing I'm interested about though, I'll say is that, so it seems obvious that there is a good chance that the Pokemon Gen 4 remakes will happen this year. And going off the time frame of when the Pokemon company tends to announce this stuff, there's a good chance that we'll get more information or a reveal for those around the same time this comes out. So I do wonder if Pokemon, new Pokemon Snap is going to have an emphasis on Generation 4 Pokemon just because of that alone. Because I did notice in the trailers there were a lot of Generation 4 Pokemon, like the Hippowdon, I think is how you pronounce it and whatnot. I know, I know what you're talking about, but I, couldn't, but I couldn't tell you uh, what... I'm also at the point now where I could probably recognize Pokemon, but I can't, I can't point out what gen they are. Like, they're, or, I can't even name it. Like, there's, I know there's a sunglasses-wearing crocodile. I don't know what it's called, and I don't know where it's from. Crocodile, <laughs> and it's from Generation 5. See, look, hey. look at this guy. Take a well, look at this nerd. As the, the Pokemon, or I guess as Brian's named you Pokemon, <laughs> this, because I, I did the, the news post for this, and they mentioned something called the Illumina, like a phenomenon that's exclusive to Lentil, which is where this takes place. Like, any any clue on that, or is that genuinely a mystery? It, it just looks like a fancy way of saying, "Hey, we want to have like Dynamax and Gigantamax stuff, but that's supposed to be exclusive to Galar, so it can't be the same exact thing." Okay. Yeah. See, <laughs> I, I, I know I have fallen so far off the Pokemon train. I have tried to get on the Pokemon train every time. So let's go. I was like, yeah, this is going to be my return to Pokemon. It it's funny because yeah. like, I remember when Let's Go came out, I was like, yeah, I'm not really too much into Pokemon, but it's like, now I've reviewed Let's Go Generation 8 and the DLC. It's like, I, I, I guess I can say all I want. Oh, I'm not big into Pokemon anymore. But I mean, clearly that's lying <laughs> to myself. <laughs> I am. My last comment on this is that I think it is really cool that games with such a limited and focused scope can still exist. We don't need to bloat everything into something way bigger than they need to be. I just like that, like how I think it was Josh said it. It's going to just be like a chill game, simple, very clear concept, I, not muddied yeah. waters. Jason's uh, uh, final step to to just say I'm not big into Pokemon anymore is uh, doing unboxing streams of Pokemon cards. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not really big into Pokemon. Oh shit! I oh like... man, I somewhere in the very room I'm sitting in right now, there's a bunch of my old Pokemon cards from when I was in like elementary and middle school that I know I have some cards that are worth a lot, but I don't yeah, know right. where they are. I don't know where they are, and that is freaking me out because, like, okay, so context. Recently, like the early like 2000s Pokemon cards, like, have gotten really expensive for yeah. some of the cards now and i the thing that really pisses me off is that when i was in like middle school i just gave away a bunch of my cards and i've been looking up the prices for some of those now and it's like damn it damn it damn it what did i do i i know i mixed my pokemon cards into my cousins and i have no idea where those are but but uh, and the thing and the worst part is is that i know wherever they are they're in good condition because i had the slips like the slip cases and everything for them mm -hmm. I when I was young, I didn't really do Pokemon cards, but once I was dared, this is like third grade or fourth grade, um, that's how old <laughs> I am. Uh, where 
if you drink a suicide, which if you don't know what that is, it's where you just go to a, a drinking fa- uh, a soda machine and you just mix all the flavors. I'll give you a free Pokemon card. So I did, and they gave me a Caterpie. That's what I got. That is my that is my history with Pokemon cards. All right, so uh, new Pokemon Snap, April thirtieth. Looks like a chill, fun, limited scope, cool, simple, straightforward game. All those things. We have a few other dates or delays to talk about. I don't think these will generate as much discussion, but let's just see. Uh, George knows it's coming up. So uh, we got a simple statement early in the year already that says Hogwarts Legacy, which was originally slated for 2021, will be released in 2022. It's pretty straightforward. So like, likely due to they, they kind of see their, this is me speculating, but the trajectory of their development progress with COVID, realizing they're not at the pace they need to be. Let's avoid a cyberpunk uh, in some ways a cyberpunk release issue and just give ourselves an extra year. So the rumor has always been, and this is related to Gotham Knights as well. Haha, I thought that again. Uh, (laughs) So uh, similar to Gotham Knights, this Hogwarts legacy got leaked like ages ago and they had this release plan for it. Obviously this is all rumors. It could be, it could just be a load of junk, but apparently Hogwarts legacy was always supposed to be, like Q4 2021. So this isn't surprising to me at all. I, I saw this and maybe it's just getting older and realizing there's already too many games to play. But I, I, I was obviously I'm, I'm playing it up. It's, it's a shame. I was so looking forward to this. Um, but, you know, it, game, games are going to get delayed. This is not the last game that's going to be delayed. Like God of War Ragnarok, that's not coming out this year. Uh, Gotham Knights, wouldn't surprise me if that got delayed too. Like this is just how it starts. And, I guess they got the biggest one for me out of the way now, at least. I do like, for as many similar issues that we've seen and talked about, especially with like what we heard about how for Anthem, they always thought it was going to come together because of the Bioware magic, or for Cyberpunk, how it was always going to come together because of the, uh, the, we made The Witcher 3 after all. Instead of pushing their luck, they're like, you know what, let's just give ourselves a year. Early on, announce it, get it out of the way. Let's not just crunch. Well, who knows to what extent they're really crunching. Let's just not race to our Q4 window and then realize late in the game that we need more time. Let's just give ourselves more time. So that might be a low hurdle to like just lightly step over, but they got it out of the way quickly, which if they if they were going to have a delay, I'd rather hear it now than in September. Yeah, I agree. I respect it. It's just, I've, I've said it before on many podcasts i this is like a dream game obviously not surrounding all the the politics and crap around it because that, that's its own separate ball game but i i was looking forward to this i still am looking forward to this uh hopefully this year still has some cool trailers for it like i feel i feel like this is not that unexpected when we've literally only had one trailer and it was supposed to be coming this year like there's a it, this sounds like all knowing and mystical but when you when you've seen enough games go through the hype cycle when you've seen the marketing wheels behind it all uh you you kind of tend to notice like if a game's not had too many trailers it's supposed to come out that year you start thinking it's going to get delayed oh no george is becoming jaded like us brian (laughs) (laughs) i'm getting (laughs) oh you do also wonder like how much their marketing plans might have been shifted due to that big leak where they're like all right we gotta we gotta announce this yeah Maybe, maybe, yeah maybe not at all but I guess it's one of those things where we can't just create an alternate universe where that never happened, so we'll never truly know. But 2022, 
for Hogwarts Legacy. Here's another date. We have that. Um, well, I guess how do I remember this? This isn't this isn't the announcement of a date. Maybe the retraction of one. So earlier this week during CES, Sony had a small digital press event video, which was not really gaming focused. Um, is it Jim Ryan? Jim Ryan yeah. um, did make an appearance to just talk generally about the success of the release of PlayStation Five, et cetera, et cetera. Not a lot of concrete details. And then in the final like uh, play has no limits card. For their for that presentation it included a bunch of dates for some third-party games in our um, purview we saw that project athia athia whichever one it is under square enix's uh, luminous Productions studio was dated for january of 2022 which is about a year from now so that seemed kind of cool because you know square enix has this track record of announcing things way too early and everything you know the, the we even saw it with the announcement of final fantasy 16 where they uh yoshida was very uh honest and saying we don't want people to reply and say see you in 2026 or whatever they want to get better at releasing things you know in a timely manner and announcing things closer to when they're ready so maybe with that context in mind a year away from project athia doesn't seem ludicrous said that we want to release ff16 before james has a chance to play all the ff games yeah, there <laughs> you go. especially if he's going to squeeze in uh final fantasy 11 yeah just seeing that well, obviously, well, we're going to get to it, but I don't necessarily think we uh, we can say that these dates are wrong because it took them a little while to just retract these dates. It's not like they were in a rush to do so. But um, uh, I think I think maybe the Hogwarts thing has made me a bit jaded, but I think the dates they've pl- the, they've had in that trailer they were at one point all probably correct like i think at one point yeah ghostwire tokyo is coming out in october but now i don't think it matters i think they could put ratchet and clank comes out like tomorrow and then it won't like what if they even have an imaginary date like they they dated pragmata the capcom thing to 2023 and that's just not a real year what (laughs) though i don't i don't want i don't want to bury the lead um they re-uploaded this video to youtube and in that version of the video the final ending card does not have these dates so no date for athia no date for um pragmata only i will um, say the first party games i will say the uh athia date is making me feel like ralph william from that one simpsons meme i'm in danger because it's like (laughs) everyone's like looking at that date and thinking hmm Final Fantasy 16 seems like it's going to either be late 2021 or early 2022. If this is dated for January 2022, what does that mean for Final Fantasy 16? Hmm. You've got time. You can do. It. You've already done three of them. Like that. That's two and a half. Well, yeah, you know, mad props. You'll be fine. Yeah. Well, I guess three and a half since I have done 14, which is honestly gonna. I've, I've probably spent more time in 14 already than I'm going to spend in the rest of the playthroughs oh, together, all together. How about this? What are you going to do when um, Expansion 6, or sorry, 5 comes out? Or I, don't, I guess it depends on whether you count Realm Reborn as an expansion. What are you, you going to do when 6.0 comes out? You're going to have to put time back into it. Play it? I mean, is this even a question? Nah, it was a very dumb yeah, one. Yeah. All right, how many FF11 expansions are you going to get through? I'm going to do all of them. All right. <laughs> I mean, if, you're, if he's going to do the whole series, why cut corners now? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, 
I'm going to regret this. I know I'm going to regret this, but I, I mean, I'm already too deep. I'm already too deep. I played Final Fantasy 2. Have you, have you at least like consulted with other people of like, hey, if I'm going to get through FF11, will you, will you be? I FF11? have people that have told me that if I start playing FF11, they'll hop on and help me through it. Ah, oh, there you go. Yeah. It was about so, yeah. See how that helped me along the way. <laughs> yeah. Have you had anyone else express interest of joining you for the for the ride? Like non-veterans? Uh, I've had people that's, that have expressed interest in hopping in for specific games, but nobody's as much of a mad lad as to do the whole thing. Because <laughs> for whatever reason, I've always kind of like been interested in Final Fantasy XI. So I'm really interested to see like what what your takeaway is from that casual yeah. mode Final Fantasy XI. Oh, no, 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 no. That would just <laughs> like if we were gonna fit it within an hour, like half of that would just be m- me on an airship waiting for it to get to the next de- destination. <laughs> like unironically, because they re- they move in real time. Well, to reel this back in, it's kind of cool that we've got two pretty big Square Enix projects: one Final Fantasy related and one not. But it seems like I wouldn't expect 16, or especially now that it's been dated and then undated, Athia, to come out this year. We kind of in our most anticipated list, we said like, why not? Let's let's just let's just shoot for the moon and say, what if Final Fantasy 16 comes out this year? But I, if There's I had to place money a, on it, I would not. You also had that near replicant thing as a big Square Enix thing in April. Yeah. There's a well. This is 2021 is Square Enix's year. To lose because you have the big Dragon Quest anniversary this year, so we're probably going to have some information about the next Dragon Quest game because it's been long enough. Like it's been a, a long enough gap that there could be the next one pretty soon. We have sixteen coming out. Like we don't know if it'll come out this year, but there is a possibility. There's Bravely Default two. There's Near Replicant and the mobile game. So it's like this is a huge year for Square next. And hey, even Babylon Fall, if that's still a thing. Oh yeah, that's a that's a thing that exists. Sure. What about what about um? Outriders? Oh, the world ends a few uh, Neo. Like yeah, this is a huge yeah. year for Square Enix. Like God, there's a possibility, a distinct possibility that the top five at the end for like the game of the year like list next year is just Square Enix games. Gotham Knights, James. Come on, what do I keep saying to you guys? <laughs> I love it, dude. <laughs> it's it's going to get delayed, George. I'm sorry. Uh, dude, what, what if Gotham Knights was the game of the year and George is like, I fucking told you all. Like, you fucking I, believers. I'm going to play it. Like, cause but anyways, I what I wanted to say, like, I, I, I kind of got cut off and thinking, oh, wait, actually, 2021 is a huge year. But I do think there's a distinct possibility we'll get an update on 16 with the uh, 14. Um, like stream that they're gonna have next month right really like so who knows we'll, we'll probably get a better idea of when to expect it within the next month or so i feel like well there's a lot of um development overlap between uh, i hope i get this right like the earlier final fantasy 14 expansions like heaven sword and stormblood and the team that's on 16 well so, it was a realm reborn in heaven's word and oh, then those team two. okay the the uh, main team, like the directors that worked on those two, splintered off after Heaven's Words patches. So, yeah. So it's possible. Yep. And and then for the last uh, release date that we got, uh, pretty simple: Trails of Cold Steel Four for Switch launches worldwide on April 9th. The Japanese version of the Switch, the Japanese version of the Switch version of the game, is in March. 
Um, we don't know when the PC version is for Trails of Cold Steel 4. So, well, uh, what's Trails of Cold Steel 4 like? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Trails of Cold Steel was a mistake. <laughs> I will play this game when it comes to PC so that I can form my own opinion on it. But the PC version is not dated. It came out around the same time as the Switch version for Cold Steel 3, but they haven't stated they've been really coy about it for four they just say it'll come at a later date so yeah i feel like i feel like it'll probably come out around the switch version but i'd imagine that durante is more focused on the pc version of east right now because you can assume that the vast majority of the work for the pc version of four was already done with the pc version of three so it's just a case of like just a few small tweaks and then you're good to go. And he's just really focused on East 9 at the moment. That would be my assumption. we got a few other news topics that uh, I think we can kind of rapid fire through these. Just footage or trailers. Uh, we got some new footage from the PC version of the complete edition of Neo 2. So that is, you know, the first Neo when it launched was not the, not the best example of a PC port. It was not the worst, but not the best. Neo 2, they've really highlighted HDR support, high frame rate, 4K. Everything seems like it's in order, but we'll have to see exactly how much of an improvement it is in terms of ports. In terms of being a game, it was my game of the year last year. I think it's really good. I'm almost disappointed that I, <laughs> I can't experience... It. I want to play it. <laughs> Believe me. I it's very it. good. I, I, I probably won't replay it just because I don't typically replay games, but... If there was a game where I was going to break that unwritten rule, it'd probably be this one. Though probably not on day one, just because I, I literally just finished the last DLC of Neo 2, and I'm not interested in... All right, time to start all over again, like a few, like a month later, less than two months later. But yeah, Neo 2 coming to PC, really cool, really good game. And PS5. Oh, yeah, and PS5. Uh, has everything built in, like all the DLC is complete. So we also got a new addition to Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Gets a free classic mode which I've heard some people disparagingly or jokingly call this boomer mode. So <laughs> I will eventually play B Bloodstained, but so I started it and then I found out, oh shit, there's still more like new content coming. I'm going to wait. <laughs> the brief amount that I did play though, it's like, it's a really good one. Yeah. I mean, last year I kind of got into the Castlevania series and it's like, I, I still need to play the, the DS entries. I'll get to that probably sometime this year, but it's like, I enjoyed it. It's well, I, I mean, I enjoyed the Castlevania games I played, so I know I'll enjoy Bloodstained when I get to it. It's just a matter of when, not if. We also got a new trailer for, uh, we already talked about this game. Thanks to Josh, but we talked, uh, we got a new trailer for Persona 5 Strikers. It's just a one-minute trailer of gameplay footage. Pretty cool. Pretty simple. Um, comes out late February for us. I'm still not sure if I'm going to play that launch or not. I want to, because I do actually like Miso games, and it sounds like it's a good game. But it's like, hmm. Yeah. And then lastly, uh, we got an update for Assassin's Creed Valhalla. Basically a giant fix patch that fixes nearly 100 bugs and glitches, which... I guess that's just kind of par for the course. This doesn't really, in the last handful of years, you could you could argue whether or not this is a trend, but it just feels like giant patches that fix hundreds of bugs. I remember when Kingdom Come Deliverance first came out in 2017, whenever that was, and it had it had a bunch of these patches that fixed a ton of glitches. But now it just kind of feels like par for the course. Like, of course, of course, a big a game from Ubisoft as big as Assassin's Creed Valhalla gets a follow up patch 
fixing a whole bunch of stuff. That's just like expected nowadays. Almost like to register. Game. Yeah, I put like 30 hours into it, and then just I just uh, I had other games to review, so I I kind of I just fell fell by the wayside. I I don't know when I'm gonna get back to it. No idea. I want to. It was a fun this, game. This reminds me. This isn't quite related, but I'm gonna allow myself this tangent. When I was talking about games that I've been playing before, I picked up um, Fallout: The Frontier. I was thinking about, like, I didn't have much of a backlog because I don't really keep one. And I was thinking about games to play. So I pull up the Uplay launcher, like, which is like something I never do. And I was looking at, (laughs) I was looking at Assassin's Creed and I was looking at um, Phoenix Rising. And I was really close to picking up on Phoenix Rising until I watched the trailer for it. And I was just so immediately turned off. (laughs) Uh, It's. I, I completely get it. Like I, I've I've said it before that some of the jokes are kind of cringe, but I, I've actually been playing a bit more of it. That's next week. I should be like, oh, I finished uh, Immortals: Phoenix Rising because I, I think I'm pretty close to the end. It is good. It definitely has all the things that I think you'd like, but it also is kind of obnoxious. Uh, so I guess it's like however you want to balance it. But I I, pers- I think it's a lot of fun. I think <laughs> if you get it on deal as well, well, I feel bad because I, I want to play that game, but like I want like a either like a a version of it that like didn't have the cringe humor. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of want like a, a dry version of Mortal Phoenix Rising. Some of it's smart though. I, I got to admit, like I, I don't know why I'm defending this game so, so venomously. <laughs> like it, it, if you know a little bit about Greek mythology, like some of the jokes have generally made me go, oh, that's clever." Some of it has also made me go, "This is this is very Family Guy esque, which is uh, very stupid." But now, like, um, a good balance. So- so Assassin's Creed Valhalla, obviously, Alex thought really highly of and it's why it placed in our top 10. He pushed for it for the top five, but I think a few of us just kind of shut that down, mainly because we wanted to make sure Neo 2 got there. Uh, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, like, I'm interested in it, but I just, I know how big it is. And it's just like, okay, if I want to experience this game to the fullest, it's like minimum 50 or 60 hours, apparently. I guess maybe if you mainlined it completely, like go nuts and don't do anything optional, you can maybe beat it quicker, but it just, it's just so massive. And then I look at Phoenix and I know we're on a big tangent now. And I just kind of, I look at Pokemon Snap and how simple it was and how like straightforward and purity of purpose it has. And then like, I felt like Phoenix could have had a similar paring down where it didn't need to be. I like how Brian's like reaching like a, like a weird flashpoint. It's like, ah, lengthened video games. (laughs) I don't like having backlogs, so I don't want to like commit myself to a game that's potentially two hundred hours long. His next realization is like, how did I end up on an RPG side of all things? <laughs> well, I cool. say that, and then I put like a thousand hours into Fantasy Star Online two already. I, I think I, I think it's only like six hundred, but still. Mm, I was gonna say, wow, you have more time in PSO two than I do in Final Fantasy fourteen. Though I'm just under a thousand there. <laughs> yeah, uh, expect don't expect me to be very uh, contributive. That's not a word. Don't expect me to contribute much. So actually, I just realized something. Brian, didn't you say that you were somewhat interested in trying out Final Fantasy XI eventually? Well, that's kind of what I was getting at when I was talking about like if other people had been playing through it. So casual mode, casual mode. <laughs> I don't know what I don't. If you ask me like if if you ask me like why Final Fantasy XI and not Final Fantasy fourteen, I can't really give you a good rational answer. But for Is it because reason, it's, it's so different just, from other modern MMOs? It's a pre-WoW MMO, that's why. <laughs> Maybe that, but I also just feel 
there's less of a less people know about it. There's less of a chorus around it. So I feel like it's more uncharted. And I know like millions of people have still played Final Fantasy XI, but it just it just feels more more out there. But anyways, I was gonna say that you probably won't expect me to be contributing much once New Genesis comes out. Here I am complaining about uh, long games and then talking about these MMOs are, are endless, effectively. Don't, don't, a, a, any opinion I have, you can just immediately disregard. Just, just go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, Assassin's Creed Valhalla got a bug fix patch. So, cool. And a couple late notes here. Uh, Blaze Blue, is that how you pronounce it? Yeah, Blaze Blue. Yeah. I, I never knew if it's a long A or. All right, all right, Josh. Do you want to talk about this, or do you want me to start? I, I, I can talk about it. Um, Bla- Blaze Blue, everyone's favorite anime fighting game. Uh, the, the people have been waiting for this the next Dragon Ball Z fighters. Everyone's <laughs> waiting for the next Blaze Blue after Central Fiction. Everyone really likes Central Fiction, and they're like, "All right, it's time." So here, here we are. They announced the new Blaze Blue, uh, called Blaze Blue Alternative Dark War. And, Josh, uh, I I just want to say I uh, hate that if this gets localized, I will 100% play this because <laughs> because the thing is is that you know it will be canon. Everything else is they canon. Said, yeah, they already said there's a genuine sequel to the Blaze Blue series. They already said uh, that. They already said there's a legit canonical sequel. Okay, right. okay, George. All right. So you know how convoluted the Kingdom Hearts storyline is. You've got me you haven't already. seen shit. You haven't seen shit. It's is more convoluted than Kingdom Hearts, I think. George, I, George I, is like, what are you talking about? Kingdom Hearts is very well organized, front to back. God, like, okay. Just... So this is this is uh, described as a instead of a fighting game, uh, this Blaze Blue Alternative Dark War is a is a chain combo cross novel RPG for iOS and Android. Coming out in Japan. Oh my god! So they're they're even saying it's a VN. Oh wow! Uh huh. This from the Arxis is publishing it. I have a developer linked brain. It's a free to play mobile game with in app purchases. Part of me hopes it gets localized, but part of me just hopes it does not because I know if it gets localized, I no 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 no. This is this is the mobile game that'll break me. So uh, the, the, it's not it's not looking great for who knows if this will get, this will get a localization. But the, uh, as a side note, uh, Arxis did update the uh, Blaze Blue tag uh, with the the seal out uh, with a seal avatar. Seal is the main character of Dark Wars. So and th- this has been in some way, shape, or form already been advertised on an English social media. <laughs> so um, I I think genuinely, well, what else does Arxis have to localize these days? And uh, whatnot. Yeah, I guess Guilty Gear is the, the only thing they have right now. Off, off the. I think this will get localized because I feel like I don't. I don't know, dude. Okay, this this is a weird one because this this game was uh, originally announced uh, three years ago uh, in 2017. Uh, so this is a, like I've been kind of been wondering what the hell happened to this game since its initial announcement, and I'm just like, I just think it's vaporware. And now this has come out and resurrected itself. And I have well, no idea. The reason why I think this will come over is because I feel like there is enough of a market in the West for the Blaze Blue mobile game that it will do well enough to at least recoup costs. I, I think it, there is. That there's one of those like apparently there's gonna be one of the most like if they if this gets localized, they're gonna need like a really dedicated localization team because 
there's like they are they're already saying like the the scenario at the moment has like over two million Japanese characters. Oh God. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> this is gonna be like a fifty plus hour VN. Like I have no idea to expect this yet. I mean I'll I'll I guess I'll 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 play next month and see what's up, but I they they released a short trailer of it. Kind of has like you know like mobile game sprites. Not chibi, but kind of reminds you of like Geo sprites. We don't actually know how it like plays yet. Besides knowing, gosh, I'm scared. I don't know, man. This is fucking weird. I'm scared. I I just remember that still the best like the tweet that I've done that's done the most numbers was like around Anime Expo, like I think 2018. uh, (laughs) Me and my roommate. We're at like Axis Games booth, and we're and he wanted, so he's played Blaze Blue too, and he almost picked up one of the uh, X Blaze um, visual novels, and he asked, "So does this help make the story make more sense?" And both me and the person behind the table at the same time said, "No." <laughs> I tweeted that it got retweeted by the Axis account, and it did like a th- over a thousand likes. <laughs> it's so true. It's very true. It's too true, man. Oh my yeah, man. Uh, uh, yeah, it's 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 hard it's hard to really vocalize and put into words like why this is th- this announcement to Blaze Blue fans and anyone who's followed Blaze Blue is so I, I don't know a blessing to, and a curse. I more one more than the other, but yeah, it's uh just that's yeah Blaze Blue is now an RPG, I guess. So that's why we're covering this. Look, I love the fighting game. I have Central Fiction. I'm I'm fine with that. I can keep playing Central Fiction, but I just want more story, man. Uh, I, like I, I, I'm a boiled frog. I'm a boiled frog. Huh? There's a lot of story <laughs> coming yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll I don't know. I guess I'll check it out and see what's up. But I I'm morbidly curious. The resignation in your voice. <laughs> uh, um. As for other cool, uh, I don't know. This I don't know. This this one was qualifying. News, but uh, for other news, which is cooler than this, um, I wish Adam was here because uh, he would express the, uh, excitement over it. Um, Weekly Famitsu uh, did uh, the, like a big interview and celebration over uh, uh, Sakuna of Rice and Ruins, uh, like big, surprising, overwhelming success so far. They had an interview with the developers uh, of that Edelweiss. Um, the the key takes takeaways from the review uh, from the interview. Uh, where they don't have uh, concrete plans for a sequel, but they would, uh, they would, they really want to do a sequel to Sakuna. There's no plans for a DLC for Sakuna, but if the, you know, if, if the stars align and their conditions are right, uh, they do want to make a follow up to Sakuna, which would be really good. I think that was that was one of my key things. Is like if this ever gets a follow up and they refine like a lot of ideas or explore explore new territory, like this has the potential to be like amazing, like awesome. Like I really like the game. Just, so. You know, yeah, this game made it into our top ten mainly on the strength of Adam's argument. I believe it was his number one, so he really uh-huh. took to this. Yeah. So uh, th- if I look back at 2020 about all the games that we've covered, if there was one game, like, so I wanted to go back to Aegis Rim, so I did. If there was any other game that I wanted to go back and say, you know what, maybe I should try this when I have free time, it's probably Sakuna, because it certainly is at uh, Valhalla. <laughs> but uh, th- this game would probably be one where, based on the fact that the arguments that Adam made for it. And even though things that you said it does well or starts to do well, and it just seems to be such an interesting concept of its own that I could see myself squeezing this in this year. Yeah. And I really like the part of the, uh, part of this interview also was 
the, there was even like feedback from people um, who said that like the rice planting is was too difficult. And I really like that Edelweiss kind of doubled down on like um, we won't they won't be like you know doing like anything that'll make the rice planting easier or whatnot because they they, they didn't want it to be done with the push of a push button. They really wanted to emphasize that you know planting rice is like a grueling like time consuming process. And they didn't want it, like anything to like kind of make that any easier in the way they depict that in the game, and that's uh that's pretty cool. Like uh, I think I think part of the game's charm is just you really have to go through the paces of how you plant your rice in that game, and that, I really like the struggle of that in the game. Like you you learn how to become a better rice rice farmer in the game with uh, like through time. It's a it's again that argument about working around a minor inconvenience. Yeah, I'm getting better at it. But I, I'm I'm really happy for that studio, man. They've made they've made so many cool games. I'm I'm really glad that they got their big breakout game through this. Yeah, so it's a really good like underdog story. And that covers it for news uh, in January. So we still somehow managed to fill three hours. As Holy is shit. <laughs> that, we we should not expect otherwise at this point. So if you made it to the end, thank you, and we're sorry. Uh, we're starting to get into like the real swing of things. Maybe not next week, but the week after, we start to see like the January releases, like Yakuza Remastered collections, or over the corner for PC, anyways. I know other people played it on PS4, but I'm looking forward to the PC version. Uh, we've got Rise of Two. Two weeks. Stri- yep. Two weeks from now. Yep. Hitman uh, Three. Yeah, it's not, not yeah, not obviously in our purview, but I'm certain if anyone here plays that and has good feelings about it, we can talk about it. Um, uh, February, we've got like East Nine and Strikers. And a whole bunch of things, and we'll start really Bravely getting into the swing of things. Oh yeah, and that too. Our most anticipated game. I've not played a Bravely game, but I am ninety percent sure I'll get. I'll do uh, Bravely Default too. I feel like I should maybe play, like actually go back to playing Bravely Default after Final Fantasy V. It feels appropriate. Yeah, you can kind of see the, the DNA there. But yeah, we'll go. We'll come into next week, and we'll see. What our final thoughts on are some of the games we talked about, like Fallout the Frontier and Final Fantasy III, and whatever else we uh, have tried out. And I think Adam is in the middle of a few things that he wasn't able to talk about that I think he's able to talk about next week, so hopefully we'll get him back. As always, you can find us at RPGSite.net. We're on Twitter at RPGSite. We're on uh, Instagram now at RPGSite. Facebook, RPGSite.net and YouTube, RPGSiteNet. If you want to join our Discord channel, you can go to our homepage and click the link at the top. We're verified now. Yes. And nothing has really changed except that we feel better about ourselves. Verified on Discord (laughs) before we got verified on Twitter. Stay safe, wash your hands, and you'll hear from us next time. Take care. Bye, everyone. They really made Blaze Blue like this, huh?